uh, ability because we can I can find people in the audience instantly to bring into conversation topics like when when we're talking about whatever. Um, and they have an order.ai integration also, right? Hold on one second. I want to see how many people in the room have VR in their uh, Gabriel has VR, although that's because it's in his first name. And then Michael Simpson on stage, Andre has it, and Nicole Arazo all have VR in their bio, so we can invite them on stage if we talk about VR. I love that. That is what a crazy cool new feature that is. Um, th- and John Francois is in the audience. And welcome back, everybody. Jay shared a really good story earlier. And let's jump into it, shall we? As we always do, and then we'll—I'll save the um, the the official intro until thirty minutes from now, when when everyone you know piles into the room here, so we can get started uh, just by asking everyone on stage, you know, what they would like to share. Anyone want to go first? Uh, I would yeah. like to go. No. I'll go. Uh, new, well, let's uh, we'll do uh, newbies first. So Sarvesh, being the new yes, kid yes. in town. Sounds good. Sounds good. It's you, been just two days that I'm on Clubhouse right now. Second day on Clubhouse. There you go. With, with a beautiful, beautiful dog too. A nice. Uh, dog. It's not my dog. It's my client's dog. Thank you. In, in fact, in fact, I uh, dogs. yeah, his his profile was uh, put on upon our request. <laughs> Welcome back. Do you have any new news headlines to share, Savesh? Uh, news as in the I have faced this issue right now. Uh, that my PC is being infected by a ransomware. Okay, well, uh, this is... PC. Hold on. This is breaking oh, news no. right now. And it's oh, been all God. over the world. I was having no idea about it. Okay. This... 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 This, this, <laughs> this is... Th- no one's even reporting this yet, but apparently Savesh's computer <laughs> has been hacked. <laughs> it's not this just is mine. It's been really millions of people. I'm on a forum right now, and I'm seeing uh, people... Uh, working in really big companies, big corporate levels, even their PCs and personal data has been uh, cracked up and they are even paying uh, double the ransom. So now it's been a situation where if you are paying, suppose, $590 for decrypting their data, once they send you back your decrypted data, they are already putting up a new ransomware for which you have to pay it again. So there is a friend of mine who is uh, right now, I feel, in some big company, I forgot the name, uh, his PC has been affected with the double encryption. So somebody's going to end up paying $8.8 million. Yeah, how many Bitcoin do you have, Sarvesh? Zero, zero, zero. Yeah, well. I'm very new to money literacy right now. Maybe talk to uh, Gabriel, some of his uh, cybersecurity friends there in Tel Aviv might be able to help you out. Uh, that's, that's, yes, that. I'll reach out to him on <laughs> that, that That's my best tip. Um, I don't know if they do um, pro bono work, but... Um, yeah, m- moving on. Um, welcome back, Matt. Somebody, maybe some med tech news from Matt or some AI news, John Francois. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can jump in with some med tech. Go I mean, for it, Matt. What's know, going if, on if, in med tech? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if everyone saw, but uh, everyone kind of knows about uh, Haven, you know, the uh, joint venture between Amazon and JP Morgan. I don't know who the third one was. It's, that's old news at this point. But JP Morgan's trying to get back into the game in and of itself. So there's a Morgan Care. So they're basically kind of doing the uh, employer-based insurance, but trying to do that just internally for themselves. So like I said, it's one of those back at back at the game. Um, interested to see how that shakes out. 
I, for one, I mean, if you can't do it with Amazon, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to do it alone, but we'll see how that goes. But everyone's trying to kind of get into this uh, yes. employer-based insurance game for e- sure. Exactly right. We covered this in the previous time zone, um, JP Morgan Healthcare. And let's just dig on this for two seconds because the headline from CNBC says, JP Morgan Chase launches new healthcare business after winding down the Amazon Berkshire Hathaway venture. Which remind me what the name of that was. Uh, uh, it's in this, Haven. Haven. That's right. Haven. So, yeah. 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 And it's interesting though that even though they tried to work on it together, now that they've split, they're both separately trying to do it. Amazon, and there because there's new news today about Amazon. Um, let me find it. Amazon Mental Healthcare. Uh, mental Health. And this is a, a developing story as well, right here from today. It, the story is, ooh, that website crashed. Uh, Amazon offers mental health benefits for U.S. employees and their families. This is just from a few hours ago. Amazon today launched a new mental health benefit called Resources for Living that provides U.S. employees, their families, their household with a single place to start for personalized, convenient, and confident and confidential support for mental health and daily life assistance. And I'm wondering what that means. Support for daily life assistance. Okay. Like you're having trouble uh, getting your spouse to do the dishes or something. Uh, these services are available. <laughs> 20... <laughs> since, these... since the first session, he's been on a roll. <laughs> these services so are available stupid. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and include access to free counseling sessions in person or through the phone, video, or text. This system-wide benefit called Resources for Living comes at a time when more than 26 million adults went untreated for mental health issues in the U.S. in 2020, and a recent survey says that uh, show that 48% of parents have more stress in their personal lives now than before COVID. Um, Yeah, so this Amazon is now has this mental health telemedicine type thing, very similar to what we call Cree in in Sweden or Livy, which is the same app spreading across Europe and coming to the U.S. where it's like, you can schedule a, a, a FaceTime call with a doctor. And now Amazon's doing essentially FaceTime calls with mental health professionals for their employees, which is millions of people and their families, which is millions and millions and millions of people. Um, and there's all I think this is great, Tyler. Yeah. I, I just wanted to jump in real quick. Sorry oh. to interrupt you. No, I do it. Doing that. Um, I, I think that there is, and not to get too serious, folks, it is the morning, but there is a massive stigma against um, uh, mental health issues and people going to see the doctor when we really need to look at it like if you break your arm there is no stigma against going to the doctor right it's very important to go to the doctor get that arm reset get that arm in a cast and it's the same way with mental health and although I am like I bash against big tech for a bunch of different reasons, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And I think that initiatives like this are really, really, really important because this is how tech can help make our society a lot better of a place to live in, especially for the workers, um, you know, the the wage workers at, at Amazon that have to deal with a lot of things. And I'll be honest, this this pandemic was really, really difficult 
Um, and, and I definitely have seen a professional and I just want everybody on stage and in the audience to know, like, if you need to go see a mental health professional, it, there's nothing wrong with it. And it's actually, I think everybody should go see a mental health professional if they feel that that would be the best course of action. So I just wanted to throw that in there, Tyler, give a PSA announcement yeah, it's, and say that this is just great. And Tyler? Tyler? Yes. Um, um, it's China here. Um, I don't know about the US, but there's been um, benefits like this offered in the UK for quite a while. A lot of the organisations I've worked with have offered a service where you have access to a 24-hour helpline where you get, you know, about the life the life thing that you mentioned earlier. You, you can speak to them about tenancy agreements, financial issues, work issues. What they won't do is give employment law advice a lot of the time, but they mm-hmm. can offer counselling. And I've signed off over the years, like for many people to have counselling. That's the one thing that then isn't confidential because we they need to request that. Um, and it, need, it requires a sign off of the organisation. But it's something that I know that for the places I've worked, we've offered for a long time. The thing that's interested, I'd be interested to know with the Amazon offering is that, is it Amazon that's offering that? Or is it a third party that's offering that? Because then, I think right. it was discussed earlier, it's the confidentiality around that and um we've always offered it through a third party like people like axa interesting enough who was mentioned for different reasons earlier in the week um yeah so it's 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 quite known and actually i now have been contacted with organizations who are trying to partner to offer counseling i mean there's there's organizations that offer counseling by slack even for people who don't and there's been a massive take-up um for, for, for around, you know, certain generations more than the others prefer to have it on Slack and they move from Slack to face-to-face after a while. Mm, so so even, I can see more people doing this, yeah, right. because it's... For very serious issues, uh, it's, people can be, you know, gradually take baby steps rather than jumping from zero into face-to-face meetings, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And ju- uh, Justin makes a great, great point. There are cultures where getting mental health help is highly stigmatized russia very notably by the way um and india too india too yeah um, yeah for sure many yeah. asian many asian countries yep and then there's uh, there's some cultures where literally everyone gets has mental uh support like uh, argentina it's well known every like it's just kind of everyone goes to shrinks and things but um the, in the U.S., it, it has a long, it has progress to make, and I, and I really appreciate Justin's point. And then Chetna's point is also about, you know, the um, anonymity factor, and then who's controlling this. And when you think of Amazon, you know, unfortunately, that means data, and who's controlling this app that they're talking through. And then Carl brought up a great point in the last session, which is Amazon is probably, you know. Uh, controls this app that their staff is using, and they can see when you open it, how many minutes you're using it. Even if they, even if the conversations are confidential and compliant with HIPAA, what does HIPAA say? They they can't see if you're using the app at all. Um, and what if it's the same app as your employee app that you use? So it's, it gets very complex as always when it comes to tech and data privacy, let alone the the content of the conversations. So it's, um, but it is like an employee assistance program. Yeah, and yeah I was going to say exactly that. The EAP Amazon things have existed for a while. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, the, yeah, doing families is, is a big plus, but the EAP programs, those have been around forever. Yeah, yeah. but they cover and, families too a lot of the time. I mean, the ones I've been involved with, they cover the whole household, mm-hmm. um, not just the individual. 
So, and Amazon employees have, you know, they got a lot of bad publicity because having to pee in bottles and all the rest of that stuff. I think they're trying to turn around their image. For, yeah. One other thing, one other thing sure. I'll throw out there is uh, Walmart's but, MeMD, which has a large mental health, uh, it, it's a telehealth in general, but it has a large mental health component built in. So I think all the big players are I think, definitely. I think Dr. Francie Hardaway is exactly right as usual, uh, but I'm, I'm wondering if, if it is about uh, image and, and turning around kind of that, the, the negative image they developed with the peeing in the bottle thing, is this not a very clever strategy for keep making sure that any issues are self-contained, uh, right, in their, own, in their own jurisdiction, so to speak, rather than having employees go to third-party uh, mental health professionals where they can or turn unionization, yeah, or, or to, to reduce unionization. Or union—that's right. Unions provide those kind of benefits. It's employees. Oh, right, know. right, right, right. So that you see, what happens is when the employer doesn't take care of you, the unions go strong, right, Francine? Right. You get that. That's yep. Yeah. Yes, uh, it gives it gives an out, you know, an an out for the unions, and uh, this tells me why Haven broke up. Haven broke up because the people who belonged to it all discovered after a couple of years that they had different needs out of it and that some of them wanted to go into some of these businesses. I said, I said essentially that in the last time zone, the last time we met, like Amazon realized they need to have this for themselves. <laughs> like, um, but, and it makes me wonder, though, Amazon being Amazon, they started off, you know, Amazon Cloud, AWS, Amazon Web Services is now a multi multi billion dollar business it started off as their own cloud infrastructure for their e-commerce business they started off as e-commerce they had their own cloud they built it worked really well and they said huh well, why don't we uh uh sell our our you know best in class cloud service to other companies and scale this thing out globally which they've done and turned it into a, one of the biggest businesses on the planet and amazon it's been known to maintain their their rate of growth as big as they are now need to go into incredibly huge areas like health and and take and take a big piece of the health pie uh, to maintain their growth so is this and not... they're already in pharmacy Tyler they're already in pharmacy with Pillpack mm. and now that's become Amazon pharmacy yeah, so that's that's what I'm wondering is is this pretend perhaps beta testing eating their own dog food as we call it and testing it on their staff uh, in a safe way because then uh, it's it's a it's a nice sort of beta test environment. Next thing you know, they'll roll it out to their Amazon Prime members and then to the public at large. Oh my God, that just sounds ludicrous to me, though. Free mental health with your Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, it's, uh, it's probably pretty helpful. It's, it's as if we're at the bottom. I think uh, because of what's happened in the pandemic, uh, the next pandemic is a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something most organizations are realizing it. And what you just said about Amazon, maybe what is, that's the, business model they're going for. But uh, from a, I think all organizations at the leadership need to show that their organizations are not, are, uh, not, uh, are anti-stigma. 
And one of the things we just recently did in partnership with Yale and Southampton University, where we had the uh, vice chancellor of the Southampton University lead it uh, by showing, uh, addressing the men, getting healthcare professionals who deal with mental health to talk about their own uh, mental illness in form of storytelling, music, and uh, poetry. Arrangements. Mm. And this was what we did. We did a questionnaire beforehand and questionnaire after, and we're following you up subsequently to look at outcome. And this this was done uh, not initially they had approached me to do it just for the medical school where we decided to do it for the whole university, so all the staff and students, and actually opened it to people outside because it was streamed. Uh, and so the point was to get the president of the university uh, through as a so students feel comfortable. And so it's not just about. Uh, uh, what you're talking about, Amazon, but I think this needs to happen across the board in every organization. The leadership need to show that they, uh, people can feel comfortable to go to their manager and there's no uh, negativity to it. As uh, Justin said, uh, you know, if you break an arm, uh, you say you're, you've broken your arm, you're going to be at home for a week or broken your leg and you're uh, off from work. No one's going to question it yet people who have i know people who were leading authorities in their field and they've had mental health and they've been hospitalized and other people are talking about it as if uh, confidential information in 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 the academia environment which is completely unacceptable so it needs to we need to become much more sensitive to and what i call it is stress And, and one in four of us will discover experience mental health issue sometime in our life. And what it's important for us to remember that mental illness and mental wellness. So remember mental illness, if you write it down, it's me and I. And mental wellness is me, we. And when, as Muhammad Ali said in that shortest poem, me, we. So what we need to get to a state, what are things that we can control and, and not be uh, and recognize that information is power and knowledge, but there's things that we can't do. You know, it might be some conflict going on and we might feel upset about it, but we can't do anything about it. So that's one way to de-stress yourself. And the second thing is to think of others. That's what I mean about me, we. If we think about we, then you're thinking of others and then yourself is I call it altruistic selfishness so you're you're doing things for others but actually it benefits you so I just wanted to put that in perspective and let's get stigma out of the uh, sure thank space. you for, professor I, yeah. I agree with that and the people that I've talked to that are like um, partnering with leaders or working with leaders in the HR space your well-being is uh, alongside DNI is is like they're the two top priorities now because um, even after we, you know, things start to free up from COVID, people start moving around, there's a lot of trauma and anxiety around that. And I think a lot of people are going to need support in that area. Um, yeah. Anyway. There was one There was one important point which um, Dr. Matt, when he in, uh, started this uh, with his art, sharing the headline on the um, health tech front, the med tech front that uh, JP Morgan Chase is also going at it alone. And what's interesting about their 
individual effort is that they have $250 million set aside to make venture investments in companies with promising healthcare solutions, which essentially uh, <laughs> JP Morgan is now a med tech uh, venture capital firm, essentially with this $250 million fund for promising healthcare startups, um, uh, which is every VC could kind of make note of. It's quite interesting. Um, but they, they are going to focus on their employees as well. But I think the Amazon one is the the, the much more interesting one. And, and thanks for everyone's uh, comments on that. Uh, speaking of the... There's the... a bit of medtech uh, from my side. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so um, just pulling up the article here. Just a second. I'll go real quick. Speaking of the yeah, this the, brain. Okay. Speaking yeah. of the data kind of surveillance side of things, and speaking of Amazon, and here's why we should be concerned about Amazon and the data, because here's a headline that I'm sharing from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, which is TNATW. Uh, I believe I just shared it. I'll, I'll share it again just to be double sure. It's from the Guardian. Yeah, I must have just shared it because it's not letting me share it again. It says Amazon's Ring, the Ring doorbell, is the largest surveil citizen surveillance network the U.S. has ever seen. One in 10 U.S. police departments can now access videos from millions of privately owned home security cameras without a warrant. So police are now able to use your Ring doorbell camera without your consent or knowledge. Mm -hmm. In a 2020... And the interesting... The Ridiculous. Interesting... No, it's not ridiculous because if you lived in a neighborhood like I live in, in the United States, people bought ring doorbells because they provided surveillance and then they hooked them up to the network because they wanted the police to see them. And I feel like this is a voluntary surveillance network. It's not like people don't know what they're doing, believe me, because I, I'm on next, next door. And in my neighborhood, people bought Ring purposely to be part of the network. Yeah, the Ring. Not me. Absolutely. Ridiculous. But the Ring. Yeah, if you're on Nextdoor and you've got a Ring camera, that's exactly what everybody's doing. And the local police departments are on Nextdoor so that you can talk to them directly, immediately, and say, this suspicious character is, you know, casing our neighborhood or so-and-so stealing packages off um doorsteps i mean that's what's happening in my neighborhood at least and has been for years yeah so the curious, the, curious the, to see this get weaponized yeah Go ahead, the, the article says in a 2020 letter to management uh an amazon software engineer said ring is simply not compatible with a free society we should take this claim seriously ring video doorbells uh, amazon signature home security product poses serious threat to a free and democratic society not only is rings surveillance network spreading rapidly it is extending the reach of law enforcement into private property and expanding the, the surveillance of everyday life what's more once ring users agree to release video content to law enforcement there is no way to revoke access and few limitations on how that content can be used stored and with whom it can be shared ring is effectively building the largest corporate owned surveillance and citizen civilian installed surveillance network that the U.S. has ever seen. An estimated 400,000 Ring devices were sold in December of 2019 alone, and that was before the across-the-board boom in online retail sales during the pandemic. Amazon is cagey about how many Ring cameras are active 
at any one point in time, but estimates draw from Amazon sales data place yearly sales in the hundreds of millions. The always-on video surveillance network extends even further when you consider the millions of users of Ring's affiliated crime-reported app called Neighbors, which allows people to upload content from Ring to non-Ring devices. I've got, any, I've got something that's going to, well, I want to add something to that because I've noticed something about Alexa devices that may add to that that might scare Michael a little bit more. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it sounds like you're trying to scare me. Go ahead. Well, no, but um, for those of you who have Alexa devices and have gone into sort of the settings of, you know, some of the new technologies that they've been offering out, um, there's two settings that they ask you, are you interested in being a part of? I think it's Alexa or maybe the general Amazon settings. Um, one is guard, which is something they've been testing for maybe a year or so, which is your Alexa will, you can turn it on or off and it'll know if you're home or not. And it'll set, listen for the sound of breaking glass or things that would naturally be like the sounds of somebody breaking into your home. And it will alert, you know, or the sounds of breaking glass and the sounds that like a fire would make, things like that. The second thing is there's something called, I think it's sidewalk. And it essentially creates... Um, it opens up your home network to other home networks within your neighborhood so that your IoT devices can be connected, I believe, I may be wrong, to other IoT devices within your neighborhood. And I'm not sure exactly how this works, but it scared me so that I went, nope, you don't get access to this. And it was almost like a similarity to what Ring does already so that you could technically sort of connect to other people's or allow your internal cameras and devices to be um, available to law enforcement or other people or shareable within your neighborhood just in case you wanted them to be. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I would actually add to this the reason that, so here's the thing. I understand, uh, I understand Dr. Francine's uh, perspective, I do. And I understand anyone's perspective who would say, uh, you know, in my neighborhood, I need to this, that, the third, and I feel safe knowing that the police always have access to seeing, et cetera, et cetera. But the neighborhoods that I'm from, we don't want that shit. I actually know personally two people who have called police and then the police showed up and killed them um, because they called for yes, help. And I, we I don't, and, and we, hang on, hang on, Dr. Francine, let me finish up. Because in these neighborhoods, you have to understand, like, I get the perspective of neighborhoods. And yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a higher tax bracket. And I live in a really nice community here. It's gated, gated, uh, double gated here in Los Angeles. Um, so nobody's got access to me. It's very safe. You know, the mothers, my neighbors, they walk around with their kids at nighttime. We all know each other, play with each other's dogs, all that kind of shit. But I'm originally from Detroit and I know the block and I know how terrifying it is to have the ideology in your head that cops can fucking see what you're doing just at all times. See who's in your neighborhood, spy on your friends, people who are just walking by. What I just, I, mm -mm, it doesn't fly with me and I'm positive if I wasn't the only one on this stage uh, from where I'm from, you, you would not you would not hear all this agreement to be this comfortable with this kind of bullshit. This is an invasion that I just have zero interest in. And quite frankly, 
if I had a ring camera on my doorbell, I would rip that shit off right now immediately and without hesitation. And I'm, I so, mean that from the bottom of my heart. Now, I do use ring. Don't misunderstand. I have the ring floodlight camera. I have those set up on my property so that I can see what's going on. But having pol giving police permission to just access my shit whenever is not a thing I would ever be comfortable with. So check this out, Michael. Uh, Manaz in the audience just did a tweet, which I'm retweeting. And the headline is, uh, could my neighbor's ring security light floodlight camera that you have uh, spy through my window? If it's too, if you're very close to each other and they put it, they might even intentionally put it on their wall facing your window. Um, and not only, you know, is their camera able to look into your window, but that means the police and whoever else, who knows where that goes. Exactly. But, it, but it gets, but it gets far crazier because rings next big product is what they call the ring drone which flies up and all around every room oh, of your God. house oh you know what i actually saw that and thought it was so dope i'm so i'm so pissed off to hear this so what are we gonna I'm do so what are we gonna do this. when the ring camera is flying through your bedroom uh Here we go. and your living room and your bathroom and every room in your house do we think that the delivery drone? Cal, exactly. I'm shooting that shit down. Are we under yeah, the impression Mike, that Mike Amazon, Amazon delivery drones aren't going to have cameras embedded in them? Of course they are. So Michael's here, point, yeah. Oh, Michael, I just wanted to add, yeah. So I have Ring as well. I'm kind of disturbed, not really because of the police force, um, but also because of the number of uh, hackings that have happened with Ring cameras. This has been well documented. Um, so yeah, my concern is we're talking about the outside, but a lot of people use it for inside as well, and that is just really concerning. If people, not just the police, anyone can hack this stuff, and Amazon has a strew of existing complaints out there about the security on the ring. I don't think they've addressed it. So we shouldn't just talk about the police. We shouldn't just talk about the outside. It's the interior that is being watched and surveilled as well. So I just wanted to add that. So let's and this is to tie back into what we were talking about earlier. Now, I'm, this is my mental health being messed with. Go ahead, Tyler. Now you need the Amazon mental health support when you think about exactly. that with the ring drone now, don't you? So keep oh, it. Oh, Tyler, can you bring up, uh, I just got uh, DM'd by one of the mods from our next room, which is uh, Fashone, and he said he had his hand up for like 30 minutes. Can oh, you sorry. bring him up for me? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, there, there's 13 people with hands up. I'm very sorry, y'all. He, he, he had an can opinion I, about this. Okay. Can I just Go ahead, say Dr. that Franklin. London has CCTV on every corner? That's true. And uh, nobody, nobody, every says shit about it <laughs> yeah. they oh they're starting to now they're starting to Shirley right uh, that yeah, was Dr. Francine knows yeah. about it. There's, there's oh no no I'm, I'm, I'm too, I was just responding just to Dr. Francine putting Shirley yeah. in yeah yeah, and that's a valid uh, that's a valid concern, Dr. Francine. It's central London. You can't walk around, but it, it's everyone knows where it is in central London. Like I can give you a link. I can watch everything that's going on, but it's actually creeping out of central London as well. So there is a com uh, it's a non profit organization called Big Brother Watch who are actually worried, and they're making a lot of about, uh, noise about that in terms of data privacy concerns. So we are there are there are concerns, and there are people working on that. But that's a valid concern. So let's keep it on the surveillance tip because Snapchat uh, just launched today. They unveiled its first AR glasses, they call it, with four built-in microphones, two stereo speakers, a touchpad, and says it will test them with some AR effects creators. And, of course, there are cameras on the front of this thing. 
Uh, so when people are, it's a, it's a really wild looking device, which I will now tweet from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. So you can get a, a, a glimpse of these things. They're, 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 um, they're quite, quite futuristic looking. I'll say that. Um, but the, the interesting thing is there's cameras on the front uh, by design. I mean, that's what they're meant for. Um, and you'll be able to record video and put it on your Snapchat. And, and last time this happened was when Google introduced Google Glass. Uh, what does anyone remember the year of Google Glass? Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was like a crystal square that was on your eye. The year, what year no, was it? The year, the year. I want to say it was like seven years ago, right? Yeah, it was like about 2010-ish, 11-ish. Something between then, 10 and 12, yeah. So, but the problem was back then, uh, they ended up kind of shelving it because there was, it just caused a whole shitstorm of, uh, you know, uh, privacy issues when people were walking into bathrooms with these glasses on that have cameras on them. Uh, As an example, I mean, there is just, and walking into, yeah. Is this Greg Duffy's uh, specialization? Why don't you ping him in? To a degree, yeah. Well, I, I have a sense I know what Greg's going to say is that Apple's evil and they uh, <laughs> yeah. they have more technology than anybody and they're going to crush everybody. And Yeah, I mean, he, we, we all know the opinion yeah, by so, this point. Um, Here's the interesting thing, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, 100%... Uh, of Snapchat's daily active users went up by 100% year on year for the last five quarters in India. Yep. And I checked Flipkart's um, spectacle, Snapchat spectacles today morning, and they're almost sold out by now. Yeah. I, I, well, these things will sell like hotcakes, no doubt. The, the issue is, is p- p- what if you walk into a private business? You walk into my cake shop, uh, or and even if it's a, a membership business, which is truly private, like what we call Sam's Club in America or Costco, where you need a membership to go in, because public businesses is still a public space and people can walk in even though it's your private cake shop and they're, they're recording everything with their glasses because it's open to the public. But if it's a membership place, then you can control who comes in or not. But if somebody goes into Costco and they've got these glasses on and they're like, hey, sir, you can't record in here. Or if it's a hotel where it's, you know, you have to have paid for a room to enter past the lobby, yada, yada, yada. So it, it gets very interesting. Um, I, and I'm the, the as we were debating in the last time zone, is like, are, is America as a society ready now in 2021 for this? Maybe things have changed and it's time to test it again. And let's see how it plays out this time. Right, right. I feel this like, a, um, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 never mind. I was going to segue. Uh, this, there's a follow-up story to this, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry, my bad. No, it's all good. I was just going to try and uh, see what some of our new players uh, on the stage, Chip and Kieran and Sequoia and Fashon, had to say. Yeah. Open mic there. Anyone got a thought on that? So I, just think, uh, I think I wrote an article uh, yesterday, which uh, I'm just looking for so I can share. AirTags is also doing that. There's some concern about how they uh, scan it because, you know, they can, uh, you know, um, locate even when the other device is off. Right. So I think yes. so, so that's also giving sense into this is a space that everyone is going in. And, and because it's Apple and no one talks about it, you know, how, how much of the, uh, the you know, privacy and all of this kind of a big brother watching. But I think they have that air tag. I think air tag is, is in that direction. Um, let me find that article. There was an interesting about there's a yeah. concern about You're right. how much of that you know, location is being stored. Ah. Nicholas is in the audience. We were talking about, oh, sorry, I just invited <laughs> Gordana. I meant to click on Nicholas here. But it was Nicholas and I were talking about Google Glass uh, last time around. And um, although those issues, they're kind of reminiscing on 
on that. But I, I, he made the point that we've evolved in the past decade. I agree with that. No doubt we have. Things are very different now than they were 10 years ago on the tech side of things. Um, and yeah, we're going to find out very soon how America feels about this. But it's also, <laughs> it's, it's not uniquely an American issue. I mean, these glasses, no doubt, are going to be aimed around the world. And um, let's see how people feel about it. Uh, it's a different generation as well, a generation that grew up with cameras more or less ubiquitously everywhere and people taking selfies nonstop and maybe we're in a different era now where people are comfortable we, we being... are still concerned about our privacy Tyler yeah I, I well to that why. point yeah people don't like it when drones are flying over their house that's for sure like your neighbors flying their consumer DJI drone over your house and you think oh that thing's got a camera on it get that thing away from my house yeah there's still right. there's, yeah there's there's certainly some of that still but um here is uh, Tyler. Is that but people I... don't mind posting thousands of pictures uh, around outside of their house, but they do have a problem when they have a drone flying around the house. See, that's the issue here, right? Uh, so, it's a, what, what is what does the privacy mean to every one of us? Uh, you know, if you're happy to take selfies and you know expose everything on your social media, that's in a way is the same thing, right? So, it's it's a. I think one of the things you said about the measure, like if you say a big you know letter or oh, don't you're not allowed to bring your glasses in here. I mean, how many of us like you know? Uh, like, you know, still there are places say don't take any photos or don't take any selfies. How many of us, uh, you know, actually pay attention to that? So I think all those no. soft measures doesn't work, uh, you know, when it comes to okay. you know, technology. Yeah. yeah. Change, changing. No, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, this is Prashant. Good, uh, good morning, everyone. Todd, thanks for bringing it up, Mike. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Kirian, uh, uh, the, the issue with that statement is that freedom of choice. If I choose to post every single thing about my life or my children and everything I do anywhere on the Internet and take pictures, that's my prerogative. But when we talk about someone else having access to that and doing what they want to do with my property is there, and with their free will, that is extremely problematic. And to the young lady that spoke earlier about the idea of police having access to our cameras, um, that is we've seen in history all the way up into the day how uh, giving uh, uh, law enforcement and government uh, free reign to have access to information or data that um, that can and can and be used against people, uh, good people, uh, is not is not a good idea. Um, and, and it's something we should be extremely specific about, especially when we understand that the, the interest of these entities are not necessarily at the uh, for the best of uh, the experience and involvement or e evolution of the user. Um, and we also have to understand that we're we're in a we're in a tech tech and data age where, uh, you know, AGI is 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 a is a already a part of uh, surveillance. I'm not I'm not as as well versed as maybe some as far as uh, you know uh, data security and but but I am someone who works specifically with physical security. We're talking about executive protection, LEOs, and military, and we have to take uh, charge as civilians of what we allow people to have access to. It's really it's really important because it can go left when we talk about technology. We have to remember. Even with AGI, these are things that the perimeters in which they will work under will still have to come from uh, be, be coded and, and measured by humans. And if we can't trust those humans to have good morale and a good moral compass with our with everyone's uh, interest in mind, that can be extremely harmful for a lot of people. And I'm from Detroit, too. Me and me and uh, Michael and I grew up not too far from each other, though. We just met. 
it, Detroit is a different place. And as melanated people in this country, we know what far too well how harmful uh, uh, personalities with power can can uh, affect the large groups of people. So I think, I, I think something we really, we really Tyler, have to focus mm-hmm. on. Hey, Sean, I really want to just acknowledge what you said, because the one line in there that's usually powerful is ethics. At what point does it cross the line where it actually can hurt someone? Because if you put ethics in the hands of someone that already has a judgment, this is where, you know, this is where it could get really sticky. And I was born and raised in New York City in the projects. And I know what that was like in East New York and, and in Brooklyn as well. So I think in these very urban environments like Compton and certain parts of Detroit and New York City, Brooklyn, I think there's some areas where, you know, we would be concerned because at that point, when they see this video, this is where law enforcement has to make a decision. But when you look at who law enforcement is, it makes it very, very scary for those that could be ultimately affected in a really powerful way. And in some ways, who, from an ethical perspective, who has the right, except the individual, to make that choice for themselves? Because if not, then we're sort of under a police state. We're just beginning to be on the police state. Tyler, may I, may I add a perspective to this as well? Yeah, go, Jackie. Thanks. Um, I'm from a similar background as Michael and Fashan and um, is it Amy? Ame? Ame. Ame, yeah. Ame, thank you. Um, I'm from Washington, D.C., which ironically is the capital of the United States, but during the 90s was known as the murder capital. Um, and what makes this this topic um, difficult is there's nuances to it. The new, There's a different perspective here where I have lived in neighborhoods where I have had to tell the school children to not enter their their houses and their apartments from the the front of the buildings or the front of their homes and to go through the back way because of the the violence in their neighborhoods because of the the people hanging out in the front of the street where there were drive-bys and and other criminal activity going on and i have to say just being honest in washington dc these cameras have helped to apprehend people who were a real and direct threat to people in their own neighborhoods. Um, I definitely, and, and it's what makes this very a very difficult conversation is police have acted out of turn, but at the same time, these cameras actually in real life have helped to apprehend people who are real threats to to children and and the most vulnerable in these neighborhoods so where is the the line drawn and 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 i and i have to say i have to add coming coming from from coming from this background myself coming from this background myself the number one threat to a lot of the teenagers and people that i grew up with was not the police it was the other bad actors in the neighborhood. Even though the police is a threat, even though the police um, has the duty to protect and serve. So that's why this conversation is extremely difficult because of all the nuances involved. Okay, Jackie, this is for Sean. So here, to, to what you said. So, so, so Jack. <laughs> so, <laughs> Can I go afterwards, please? So, so Jackie, this is, I, I, I'd love to respond to what you said and add something, to, uh, some nuance to what uh, Amay said. So, uh, 
first of all, uh, just to, to Ma's point, uh, for those who haven't grown up in like one of the worst areas in the country, um, imagine if rules change and laws change, and we had surveillance through our personal cameras and government or uh, government or private cameras, right? And to say that they be created a law, let's say that smoking or drinking alcohol all of a sudden became illegal again. And these things were able to catch you doing things that seemingly before was a part of your life and was harm, harmless and didn't harm other people. Let's go even crazier saying we have a space where having children or having sex is now illegal. And, and someone else's, someone else's, you know, <laughs> someone else's camera or government camera, camera can now see you. And now you can be charged and prosecuted based on something that was seemingly okay. The problem is, is as the government has the right to, uh, it has the right to, to prosecute you on something, it becomes a very scary thing if they begin to change the law. And that's what we know we do in America and with, with legalities. We change the law. Oh. Hey, hold on, Paul, that. Karen. Hold so, on, hold on, hold on, Karen. You, you, for Sean, I, you just brought up a great point. What about uh, if they say home arrest during COVID, you're not allowed to leave your house? And now they got all these cameras all everywhere. Mm-hmm. No, and, I, and, that's, and that's exactly my point. My yep. point is we have, we have to think about the areas, <laughs> which, the things we don't like, right? And to, and, and to Karen, I mean, excuse me, not Karen, but uh, yeah. uh, Jackie. Jackie, so what you what you bring up is something, and it, and it pulls at our heartstrings. We emotionally become attached when we think about children being harmed and people, innocent people being hurt by bad people, right? In 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 in, 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 in uh, society. But the issue is here, right? The the idea is we have to understand that the the police and and, and judicial system responsibility first priority is not to protect people; it's to prosecute. That is their industry. They make they make money off off of off of uh. Pressing, uh, prosecuting people, and the illusion is that it's about protection, but it's not because their job is to respond to crime, not to uh, pre- like uh, prevent crime. There's extremely different. And we talk about this camera; they could speak to the illusion of preventing it, but observing something doesn't prevent it, right? And 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 we also have to ensure that it that is their responsibility to figure out new and creative ways to prevent if if preventing is their goal. But surve- surveying humans at all times is a very very slippery slope. I agree, Fashan. I totally one hundred percent agree with you. History says you're one hundred percent right. It goes totally left. All I'm saying is that everyone on this stage has has are above average i went to i worked at goldman sachs i'm at salesforce now working within the salesforce ecosystem we do not have the backgrounds of the most vulnerable people in these neighborhoods (laughs) so what what the only thing i'm trying to speak to is the nuances and there are many people in those neighborhoods who are grateful to have those cameras? I'm just, I'm, br- I'm just bringing Jackie, that perspective. All due respect, I don't think you know us. Hey, Fashion, let, uh, let <laughs> Akil, me... yeah, okay. what, Akil, are you saying you're not above average? Is that, is that what you want to say? <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, I don't think she knows us. That's all I'm saying. No, Tyler, just a quick, Tyler, just a no, quick she, point. No, she, she actually right? does. She does though, because you have to have a, uh, an i. Well, until yesterday, you needed to have a, at least an iPhone, and the people in Clubhouse are. Repre- you know, on average, you know, 
Uh, about, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's that's a good cool. guess. She has the top. Akil, it's a good guess, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a good guess. Yeah. It's a By the way, point. Tyler, yeah. do you, Tyler, do you always get the cash register going when the Goldman Sachs mentioned? <laughs> yes, I did. Right, let me try this. Let me try this. Let me try this. Goldman Sachs. Yeah, hold on. Goldman Sachs. Yeah. That's a new out. It's a new algorithm. Every time you say oh, Goldman man. Sachs, the cash register goes Goldman off. Sachs. Yes. So Tyler, yeah. Shirley was back channeling me. And I think that obviously this is a hot button topic. Yep. Everyone's talking about it. So yeah. Shirley and I are going to do a, a side a spin off. Oh, great idea. Great idea. And yeah. by the way, by the way, kudos to Jackie and Fashan for touching on both of opposite sides of a very hot topic in a very... Exactly cordial, uh, polite, respectful. You know, respectful way. Kudos to both of you. And thank you for thank helping you us. As well. yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks for and also you. just to kind of move, uh, just, let's, uh, so we'll do, a, we'll do a whole room about that because that's obviously a, a six hour room that we're going to get into, um, heavily next week. Um, yep. but yeah, let's, let's cover some other, yeah. here uh, we topic. Go. I got I another topic right here. I, had a, a, I got one. I, I got one. Me. I got one. Here we go. Major, I got you, ma major dating apps, including Tinder, Okay, Cupid, adding vaccination badges to the dating profiles. So, so you finally, know, yeah, finally, because every question of every Tinder matches, are you vaccinated? Uh, because if you're not, I'm swiping left, y'all. Major dating apps are added <laughs> vaccination badges and special benefits. I wonder what those special benefits are. Self-censorship. Yeah. Uh, to users' profiles who say they received the coronavirus vaccine in an effort to reach the Biden administration's July 4th inoculation goal in support of President Biden's goal of getting 70% of adults to at least one shot by July 4th. The largest dating apps in America will launch new features to encourage Americans to get vaccinated, according to an announcement from the White House. The news from the dating apps comes after President Biden's earlier earlier this month announced a goal of blah, blah, blah. Tinder, Hinge, Match, OkCupid, BLK, Chispa, Plenty of Fish, Bumble, and Padoo. Coffee's Bagel as well. Are all giving special benefits uh, to those who get vaccinated and add the new vaccination badge option to the profiles. And by the way... Oh, so Tinder is allowing vaccinated people to get free premium content such as super likes mm. and is encouraging users to get add a getting vaxxed or vaccine saves lives stickers to the profiles. UK Cupid users who add the I'm vaccinated badge will get a free boost to the profile. According to research from OK Cupid, people who are vaccinated or plan to get vaccinated receive 14% more matches than people who don't plan to get vaccinated. And Uber, don't forget, we had a headline a few days ago that Uber and Lyft are giving free rides to people to and from their vaccination. Mm -hmm. uh, how, are, how are they validating all of this? How do they know for a fact the guy is they vaccinated? They don't. They don't. That, oh, that, I, that said, said just, just some knowledge from somebody who actually uses these apps. <laughs> so I use Coffee Meets Bagel as my primary uh, dating app. It's just, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's the highest quality um, in terms of both people on there and just the the general uh, user experience. But so they've been doing this now for a couple of um, ever since the you were able to get vaccinated. They've been doing this on Coffee Meets Bagel, and what's really cool about it um, is <laughs> for nerds like me, it became kind of a uh, case study. Where, because you get the, there's, there's three options you actually get. One is not vaccinated. One is waiting for an additional dose. And the other is fully vaccinated. And what I noticed is when I was waiting on my additional dose, girls that I would hit up who were fully vaxxed would, we'd talk for a while and they'd be like, I like you, but hit me up after that second dose. Like, <laughs> people actually, oh, no. people actually care about it. 
Uh, Michael, I think there's an important point uh, behind this. Uh, in the 80s, if you uh, rem remember people who didn't say they had HIV, uh, you know, there's a lot of legal suits in the early 2000s and late 90s, right? So I think uh, this is what they're concerned about. They just oh. don't want someone to... Uh, yeah, I'm concerned about this. Like, honestly, they don't, they don't want. They don't, want, they don't want someone to date and end up dying and then they come back to the platform. Because oh. it affects families, guys. It's not just a date anymore. It affects families. Interesting, interesting. But I, yeah, I keep I keep my vaccination right, card. Don't on. underestimate. Look, don't underestimate. You know why companies do what they do. Uh, the thing about this uh, camera. Sorry, I couldn't join in. Look, Amazon makes one million dollar every minute, right? If the CEO was listening to this chat, he would be smiling with a big smile from ear to ear. You know why? We're getting very emotional about the issue. Last twenty years, we've been talking about how much each technology company is going to be getting into our bedroom. Right now, in twenty twenty one, they are getting into our bedroom, and we haven't done anything about it. Yet, they are a $3 trillion company. So unless we're going to all get together, not get too emotional about it, agree what is right and what's ethical and what's, you know, what's a, a tech company should be allowed to do and punish them where it hurts, right? Um, I think that's how we should be uh, approaching this. We shouldn't get too emotional about this issue. Um, so anyway, so it comes back to the dating Tinder, um, Tyler. I think it's, it's all about the legals and they're trying to protect them, you know, um, Heads yep. up, that's what it is. Yeah, uh, uh, you have an, an interesting point. I've got another article to share here. Elon Musk says is uh, considering opening a plant in Russia. Uh, any Anyone have any information on this? Stella you... shared this in the morning, yeah, right we, before the room ended. That's right. We just shared this right at the end of the last session about seven hours ago. It's being reported now by CNN Business. Elon Musk said on Friday, Tesla may soon come to Russia. Here's the quote. I think we're close to establishing Tesla presence in Russia, and that would be great. And more broadly, also in Kazakhstan and neighboring regions, it's important for us to support Tesla supporters like, your, like, like yourself, uh, uh, he says. <laughs> Musk. I'm wondering if this is why he asked Vladimir Putin for a meeting via Twitter. Ah. Mm. Musk said, well, and in, yeah. in addition to already existing Tesla factories in California, Nevada, Shanghai, and plants under construction in Germany, Texas, Tesla will potentially open factories in Russia. Over time, we'll look to have factories in other parts of the world, potentially Russia, at some point, he said. Musk said he participated in the New Knowledge Forum at the invitation of the Kremlin spoke person, Dmitry Peskov. He answered questions from Russian students for around 40 minutes, among other topics. He spoke about how he sees the future, proposed to build a base on the moon and a city on Mars, and said he doesn't rule out the existence of alien life. Tyler, I have a, I have a news on that. I think there's a conspiracy around all of it. There's three news broke out in the last week. It kind of ties up Elon Musk for what we've been discussing about him. One is this, right? So today there was a headline. There's a 13.5 billion worth of uh, Dogecoin in one whale wallet. And he purchased something today. The number was 420.69. Apparently, they are meme numbers. Um, I mean, who would add when you have a $13.5 billion worth of uh, um, you know, Dogecoin? Who would add just 420.69? That's the first thing, right? Second thing is this man is trying to get to Mars. And third thing is Edward Snowden, right? Where is he now? So, you know, this is a guy who's just trying to make friendship with you know, Russia. I think there is some conspiracy going on. You know, he's, he's trying to get his escape. That's the way I see it. I'm just, I just thought oh. I'd put a lighthearted... X-Files, X-Files, X-Files. Yeah, Kieran. <laughs> hey, Kieran. Uh, the, uh, there it is. <laughs> we're, get, we're, we're getting down to the ground truth now, folks. <laughs> Didn't he also visit the UK, like, a day ago for two days? He did, he did. He did. Also, Greg is here. Yep. Uh, Akil, you're... So how, how, how much is this play in Russia related to acquiring more leverage in China? Oh... Mm. 
Ooh. Yes. Would it matter? Mm. Yeah. Would, would, would they care? Well, it might also have to do with um, diversity of alliances and, you know, and uh, access to here. I think what, let's let's ponder for a second. What is Tesla's biggest vulnerability? I might argue is access to the the nickel and lithium and Battery cobalt supply, that is yeah. needed for the batteries. Right. Mm. And it's another one, uh, Tyler, you're not talking about, which is SpaceX, right? Um, so Russia and China are getting together after 2025. They're going to be working together to dominate this space. Um, so again, I guess, you know, he's kind of strategically placing himself, right? He's, he's got massive investment in yeah. SpaceX. But Tesla has already said they now have to raise the prices of the vehicles as a result of the prices of these core, you know, um, rare earth metals related to the batteries. And so it's already having a financial impact on the company. So I would imagine they're going to start making political moves in the same way that the big tech companies do in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> to protect their own interests. And that could mean right. that doesn't that that means geopolitically. That means who's got the power and the access. And that's a mix of different inter interesting players. Mabwana, you, you want to jump in? He's, he's just on mic. There he is. He's just oh. on mic. You need to mic him. That's right. Ground control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michelle just joined, uh, raising hands here. Jonathan's raising there he hands. Is. Yep. That's right. Hey, Tyler, I, I have a story about Netflix. Do it. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, this is from the information. So Netflix is looking to hire some new, a new executive to expand into video games. Yes. Um, mm. And so I think they're trying to use their subscription based model, which a lot of video game companies are now leaning into and uh, trying to have their already on eyeballs and expand into that world. Yep. So I do find that quite interesting. It, and yeah, as you should, it is very, you know, Sequoia, I'm, I'm curious, Sequoia, why they haven't done it so far. Like why have they been like ahead in the game there? Uh, if we only or knew somebody been? that worked at Netflix that we could ping in by the name of Ade. Yeah. Ade. I, I pinged him a second ago. I'm going to ping uh, him right you, now. Could that, by could the way, you also, while you're doing yeah. that, Tyler, could you, uh, I, I keep getting a, there's a guy named Legend Harry. Could you, he, he said he's had his hand up for about okay. a half hour. He's uh, trying to get up here. But by the Thanks. way, if, if you're friends with Ade, let's all send him a ping together so that he understands the context. Let's do a mass ping. I just yeah. did. He hasn't been <laughs> so him. while there. I, I just, That's the thing. I just, uh, need to wake uh, him up. uh, FaceTimed with him a day ago. So, I mean, he, he says he's been very busy. Um, who, what was the name again, Michael? It's let here. Let me, let me, yeah. Legend hair. Let me go back to my DMs to make sure I'm saying it right. Still have my hand up. Ted talk, yada, yada. Ah, legend, Harry, Harry, Harry. It's Harry. Okay. So, um, but on that point of, um, Netflix. Yeah. I mean, all once, once people start getting smooth sailing and I think, I feel like, well, Netflix has now got new competition in the form of that huge announcement between AT&T is now doing handing off, um, discovery merging with, um, Warner, Warner media. And now there's a big new player in the streaming content space, right? So now there's Netflix, Amazon prime, Apple plus, and this new discovery, uh, Warner Media. I, yeah, I mean, is Netflix still hosted on uh, AWS servers? Good question. I imagine they diversify, uh, I, so that I would, yeah, so that they're not overly dependent on one of the cloud platforms. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Netflix looking to hire executive for gaming expansion. Netflix is looking to hire a 
an executive to oversee its expansion into video games. Uh, the information reported on Friday citing people familiar with the matter. The company has approached veteran game industry executives in recent weeks. The move comes at a time when the video streaming pioneer is stepping up efforts to grow beyond its traditional business as competition heats up, as I just said, and subscriber growth is starting to slow. Yeah, that market's maturing, and now they got to start expanding into other verticals. The gaming industry has been a big pandemic winner thanks to a surge in demand from customers staying at home. And you know what? Netflix would be the first to know who they're really competing with in terms of eyeball time. And if, mm. if they're seeing that their users, when they close their Netflix app, goes over and opens up Candy Crush or whatever these other video games are, um, and they want to get into a piece of that pie. It was actually very similar to when YouTube was cat videos and they were competing with TV and they're like, you know what? Gosh darn it, we got to compete with TV and start focusing on longer form content, 30 minute, one hour type content, which they've done a bang smash up job of doing, by the way. And now they're looking at TikTok and these 30 second videos. And like, you know what? We need some of that action. And so that's why they yeah. announced last week their $100 million fund to pay creators to make 30 second content on YouTube. And there's now right. a, a new little YouTube type experience of TikTok little like videos now um, because they want to get in on that game. So it's, it's interesting to see even once you've captured one part of the market, you still got to keep your eye on the ball as to other areas of growth. Yeah. Here's an interesting well, I remember when Netflix first came out and they were on DVD. I remember back when they were on DVD and you would order them in the mail. There was actually a company that used to do it with video games called Gamefly. I don't know where they're at now, but uh, here's an interesting thought because Netflix is a streaming company. They probably solve the latency problem. So are they going to be ahead on the cloud gaming part? Yeah. Ooh, that's a great point. They could be. Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, they're taking advantage Although of, Google of their, with uh, it. They're leveraging their pre-existing work and, and infrastructure. That's a very good point. Yeah. It's not yeah. a hard pivot for them to, to get that, That's why I was asking the AWS question because yeah. I thought they might have cracked the cloud problem. Akil, you got right. your mic down your throat. You just got to back off about six <laughs> inches there. Speaking... Tyler at the bottom. I'm actually surprised that Netflix doesn't have like... Do you think Netflix should be any better than Google Stadia on this though? Yeah, well, they, yeah that's what I was saying. Google Stadia kind of failed, right? It's dumb. Yeah. They're, they're... Everybody who tried this kind of had the latency problems. Latency is really important when you're gaming. You can't have... Uh, you can't be three seconds, uh, you know, 0.3 milliseconds behind the other guy. You'll get shot. Mm. Especially Even if you're playing games that are popular today, like Battle Royales. You can't have that kind of latency, which I think was the big issue with these. Like, it's it's great. These streaming services are great if you're, if you're mostly playing non-precision games. But when you're playing, like, highly, highly developed platformers or Battle Royales and things that are popular amongst gamers today... You have to, that latency will literally get you killed in less than a second. And I don't think it's going to fly for a lot of people uh, just yet. We just, the tech just isn't there just yet, but it's getting there. And it's important that people are, you know, uh, kind of uh, pushing boundaries and seeing how far, how far it can go. Like failures. The thing about failures is they're not really failures. They're just us figuring out what didn't work and why it didn't work. And it's kind of like, we need those. So it, anytime we call something a failure, <laughs> Anytime we call that's, something, that's his noise for wisdom. That's yeah, that's his noise for wisdom. The, the, the more you know, um, but anytime we have failures like that, you know, we're just learning and growing from that. So, speaking yeah. of TikTok, China, according to China's own publication, South China Morning Post, China calls out ByteDance, which is TikTok, uh, Kaixiu, and LinkedIn 
for illegal data collection. 105 apps, including some of the country's most popular uh, platforms, were put on notice by the Cyberspace Administration of China. The Internet Watchdog found the apps were illegally collecting and misusing personal data. Mm. China's Internet Watchdog has named and shamed some of the country's most popular mobile apps, including TikTok, LinkedIn, and 102 other apps for illegal collection and use of personal data. The Cyberspace Administration of China, otherwise, it's called the CAC, otherwise known as the CAC, said that after receiving complaints from users, it has found that 105 apps had violated several laws and had infringed personal wow. information through illegal access, overcollection, and excessive authorization, according to a notice on its WeChat official account. There you go. 105 apps have wow. 15 days to wreck the... Holy shit. You gotta love yeah. China. All 105 apps have 15 working days to rectify the violation. <laughs> wow. Because uh, that's how China rolls, y'all. Uh, yeah, they get, <laughs> they, they get shit done. China speed. China speed. Uh, get that shit fixed. In, in, India just bans them. Yeah, you've got about 35 minutes to fix the problem. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. No, Man, co no, so court, got, no court got... case needed, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Other, otherwise, you get to live in Michael's basement. <laughs> Yo, I will, I will lock you down there in a heartbeat. But by the way, one of the big headlines out of China in the past week was just, you know, 24 hours or so ago. It was that one of the top CEOs of one of the biggest companies, Pinduoduo, and now what was the other big one that just resigned? Um Bite to go, dance. Bite to go dance. daydream. Yeah, TikTok. Yes. The, the ByteDance's uh, co-founder stepped down uh, to think about other things, was essentially his explanation. <laughs> to daydream. To daydream, <laughs> to daydream, daydream essentially. Yeah. And then we were trying to figure out, well, why does this guy need time off to daydream? He's, a, he's the CEO <laughs> of the biggest, fastest growing company in the history of the planet. But yeah. honestly, it's a lot of stress being in China, especially ByteDance. <laughs> I Dance guess so. It's, it's, it's TikTok. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, actually. I guess so. You need that Amazon service for that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> only, oh, my goodness. If he only had Amazon's mental health um, employee <laughs> services. Yeah. Hey, did we ever touch give me on that, the fact Give that, me that uh, Amazon mental health service yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be the best. <laughs> Did we ever touch on the uh, the whole Apple Watch Assistive Touch thing that got announced? Because that shit's wild. Uh, I saw it myself. Where is it? Let me pull that up. Here it is. Yeah, because uh, that's pretty wild. Uh, uh, well, they they there's a couple of Apple announcements today. I saw that. Jesus, where did it go? You got it, Hank? Basically, yeah, I do. Basically, uh, they're, they announced – yeah, you're right. They announced a number of new things, but the one that – uh, so they announced background sounds, Apple Watch Assistive Touch, eye tracking, accessibility features, all of which are really cool. Uh, but the two that really got to me was the hand gestures. So if you're wearing your Apple Watch, you can literally do hand gestures. And what they've done is they've mapped out the tendons and veins and movement in your wrist and the hand. And the watch is sensitive to all of that now. So you can actually control your watch through hand gestures, whether that's uh, squeezing your hand, putting certain fingers together, um, and then combined with the eye tracking, what's going on is basically you'll be, you'll be able to look at it and uh, look at it. And it's <laughs> this is really crazy what they're doing. Um, you'll be able to look at the iPad with the eye tracking and basically just control it. Uh, with your eyes, with blinking and looking at things and how long you stare at something will select it and 
I mean, copy control, paste, all the, all the features, you, you're going to be able to do all this stuff. Um, and this isn't, this isn't a later thing. This is a right now thing coming up in uh, iOS 15 and, and watch OS 8. So did you get the whole t uh, article, Tyler? I'm going to pull that. You find it because I, um, I got a related point to what you're saying now, which is there's Apple just applied for a patent. Apple reveals a future MacBook with an in-air sensing strip that interprets 3D finger gestures using ultrasonic sensors. Apple already has more than 40 patents uh, related to future applications related to in-air gesturing, like uh, Minority Report, where you can move your browser with your hand in the air and you can close windows just by like pointing at the corner mm. of the browser to close it. Um, and so it says they have 40 patents already Today, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office published a patent application from Apple that relates to in-air gesturing being specifically applied to a possible future MacBook. In some ways, Apple is using it to advance or perhaps reinvent their touch bar feature so as to make it more appealing. So you don't even need to touch the touch bar. In fact, the touch bar doesn't even exist. It exists at the bottom of the screen, and it, the camera is now so accurate that it can use your fingers as a control mm -hmm. in the air. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We're not going to look as cool as Tom Cruise or Suave, but we'll, we'll be doing it. Yeah. Moving, yeah. like swiping to swipe and scrolling, you know, on a page just by moving your finger up and down instead of using the mouse or the touchpad. That's fucking Speak crazy. Speak for yourself, cool. Michael. Yeah. I'm definitely going to look as cool as uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, Michael, your profile picture, you are looking super cool in that man. Uh, By the way, hang on, hang on. Who just on. took on who took on Michael on looks? Yeah, Michael. Who was that? But there was another there was another Apple Watch announcement that the first one that you touched on. What was that? Oh, well, yeah. So they've got this other thing called background sounds um, and, and the eye tracking accessibility. So what's interesting about Apple is they always make these things for accessibility features, um, but they end up being super beneficial to just everyone in general, which is something that I really, really appreciate about them. But the way background sounds work is uh, in support of basically what they're saying is in support of neurodiversity, Apple is adding a background sounds feature that's designed to minimize distractions to help users stay focused, stay calm or rest. Balanced, bright or dark noises, uh, noise sounds are available, as well as ocean rain, stream sounds. But all of the sounds can be set to play in the background to mask unwanted environmental or external no uh, noise. Uh, and Apple says that the sound mix, uh, the sounds mix into or duck under other audio and system sounds, which is pretty cool. As far as the assistive touch, basically it says for users with limited mobility, assistive touch will allow the Apple Watch to be used without the need to touch the display or the controls. Built-in motion sensors, the optical heart rate sensor, and on-device machine learning will let Apple Watch detect subtle differences in muscle movement and tendon activity that will control a cursor on screen through hand gestures like a pinch or a clinch and things like this, assistive touch obviously being launched later this year. Then it goes on to speak on iPad eye tracking, which uh, Tyler, Tyler led a very interesting uh, discussion about that yesterday, which we're going to dive into later in our metaverse room today, at, uh, right after this room. Oh, let me tease uh, it. Let me tease uh, it. Tyler, Tyler, I yeah. think Greg and Harry is trying to get up. Okay, one second. So Michael's, Michael's got a room coming up uh, with uh, Victoria, right? Right after this room, yeah. which starts to about a, a little less than two hours from now, right? And. Yep. And you're going to want to jump into there with us. We're all going to jump over there later. But what Michael's talking about is what we've noticed, something really interesting, is 
the MacBooks notoriously have really shitty cameras on them, right? And we know this because everyone's working from home and trying to do all these Zoom calls, and they got to upgrade their cameras by jumping on Amazon and buying one of these Logitech, you know, plug-in USB cameras because the MacBook camera is just so incredibly noticeably bad, which is kind of strange. Apple, of course, is embarrassed by this, noticed the problem. They see that people are now working from home nonstop doing all-day Zoom calls, so why not upgrade the camera? But that's just where it's getting started because now uh, the new, the first of these first products has just come out, which is the iPad Pro. And the reviewers of the iPad Pro, of all the things, it has the M1 chip and people are blown away by everything that it can do. But the thing that is catching these reviewers uh, most is the fact that the camera on this thing is so remarkable that you can stand many feet away from the iPad on your kitchen counter and it can track you as you walk around your kitchen and even zoom in on your face for the Zoom call or the FaceTime call. And they're blown away by how good the camera is. Now, here's where it gets interesting. It's obvious that that same camera is going to come into the, 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 the future MacBooks that they just announced are coming out. So the question is, we we know we learned in this room about four days ago that there's a company called Toby based out of Sweden. It's publicly traded, worth trading at about an eight billion dollar valuation. And the CEO founder they they pioneered the space of eye tracking. In fact, twenty years ago, and they've been the leader in the space for twenty years. And that's why Facebook and Oculus use them in their Oculus devices, and it's why HTC and the other VR headsets all use Toby for the eye tracking. So the founder is a dear friend of mine. I messaged him and said, "Hey." Is it possible that Facebook is going to use uh, this eye tracking data that you essentially enable them to get to because uh, they, they get tons more data than was ever possible before from the Facebook's uh, social media platform? They get all. Tyler, can I yeah, hold on? One can second. I yeah, you nuance can. that a bit? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So but the, the question is. Uh, uh, John, who's the, the co-founder of uh, Toby, says, yeah, of course they can have all that data, but they needed to be very careful about it uh, because it's, there's so much privacy, data privacy issues involved with that, especially in Europe. And then I said, okay, but what about all of the upcoming Apple devices, like the new iPad Pro, like the MacBook, like the in future iPhones, if it has a super stellar selfie camera on that thing, it can look into your eye and get all kinds of data that would blow your mind as part of an ad network that would kill all other ad networks because of the level of data that they could get from it. He says, yeah, they could do that if they added uh, better lighting uh, and a, what he said was like a $5 or $10, um, what did he call it? Uh, 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 I'll have to look at a my light layer. Light, light controller, layer. he said, so that it could move the yeah. camera uh, and, and shift the focus based on where your head is at so it could get more precise on the... But go ahead, uh, Nicholas. Yeah, so Toby is uh, not as uh, crucial to Facebook nor Apple. Apple bought the Toby competitor, SMI, a German company, in uh, 2017. And Facebook bought uh, iTribe, a Danish eye-tracking startup, in also around that time. So Toby is more uh, involved in, in Vive, HTC Vive, but that's also like, they're not so dominant th there either because in the new uh, Vive Pro 2 and the Vo Vive Focus 3 that were just announced, there was no built-in eye tracking, which I hoped for and many others, but they do have an eye tracking accessory. That eye tracking accessory does not come from Toby. It comes from another 
a Chinese company called Seven Invention. So there's there's a lot of eye tracking companies, and uh, um, yeah, the major acquisitions have already been done. I don't think Toby is an acquisition target for any of these anymore. Um, and yeah, there's it, it's a it's a whole market out there. Sorry, the new the new Vive headsets did come with eye tracking. No. Not I'm, built in. No? Not built in. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm pretty informed on the topic. No, 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 no absolutely. But... Yeah, no, I'm I'm questioning my own reading here. I, yeah, okay, I'll I'll look into it again. They did announce uh, compatibility with an eye tracking accessory from Seven Invention in China. Yeah, but uh, the, there's another headset maker called Pico. So Pico P I um, is another head. Um, uh, VR headset with built-in eye tracking, oh, and they have, the they have the Toby. Oh, finally, Grace here. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> look, um, put down your crack pipes and beer bongs and listen to me about what Apple does and doesn't need when it comes to eye tracking technology. For example, when Apple wants to solve a problem, they look down to the first principles, sensor engineering, and then they solve it by getting the world's best people, either by acquiring under the DOJ antitrust threshold um, or by offering individuals lots and lots of money um, or by having people on staff already um, combining the expertise of super microelectronic engineering, uh, sensor development, sensor fusion, um, all of these types of things with the domain experts in the area. They literally have, like I met a guy who was the CEO of a camera sensor company and he was a director and like like worked for a guy who worked for a guy you know who worked for like I, I had people on my team that just given to me that were literally the domain experts you know super rich from past successes and paid so much they don't need startups like Toby and in fact if you really want to look at the pathological case of eye tracking without commenting on what Apple is or isn't working on. It's called foveated rendering. Now, do you all know what foveated rendering is? Tyler? Yep. No, but nobody's saying they need Toby. I'm just saying he's a friend I, I, and he, I, I he, he, he knows the no, no, answer. No, no, no. Like, no, no, no. I, like, this is not a dunk on, on your mention of Toby. It's like, it's tech news around the world. I want people to know that, look, look at foveated rendering. What foveated rendering is, is actually tracking your eye, including hyper fast movements like nystagmus and all of the crazy things that your eye does in super real time and tying it into the actual GPU rendering loop to only render the pixels uh, at high fidelity at the center of your vision and tail them off on the peripheral. Um, and this is the this is the pathological use case of eye tracking. If you can do that, then you can do anything. And of course you wanna do that because that means that your device is lower power and better rendering you know, for the amount of joules being used from the battery and all these other things that super great hardware companies know how to do when other hardware companies are just like, just slapping together the shit that industry can provide. Uh, this is real hardware engineering, yeah. looking at joules you know, for uh, the, the rendering technology. And then of course you can draft other interesting use cases on top of that eye tracking, but you're not gonna acquire that type of technology in. 
you're going to build it because it's right in your rendering loop. Yeah. Nicholas, didn't the Vario have that where it was uh, the fidelity got better based on your eye tracking? They do have to some degree, but uh, the Vario really started as a company that wanted to move this super high resolution micro display um, because they use two displays in, in their headsets. So they wanted to move mechanically that display to, to be at the foveated area. Think about, and they, think about they doing haven't... it at 90 frames per second at 8K yeah, exactly. per eye resolution. And calibrated to any eye no shape. No screen door effect. You know, any eye shape, like like any user that puts on the headset. Like this, this is like, yeah, exactly, Nicholas. Thank you. Yeah, so John Carmack is a pretty good engineer, and he says... And he's, of course, the, the uh, consulting CTO for Oculus for Facebook. And he says, uh, actually, um, I'm quoting from a tweet here, um, you can't cut down the number of pixels rendered nearly as aggressively as you might think with foveated rendering, because several times a second, your eyes will dart to a new position and the latency from movement through eye tracking through rendering and displaying a new frame shows a lot of blur. So there's so many pure engineering problems that need to be solved here. And Facebook has... Um, published a lot of their research and in, in how they're circumventing a lot of this. Uh, it's it's a so super hard problem. What you what you literally do is you have a team that includes neuroscientists, that includes programmers, that includes graphics people and sensor people. This is what a company that is serious about hardware development and has the resources to do literally anything that is physically possible does when they attack a problem like this. Um, and Niklas, you're right. John Carmack is a god amongst men when it comes to, to programming, especially in the graphics arena. Uh, but they literally, um, they literally have people like him on staff, the same caliber, multiple people. That's what you can do when you're a $2 trillion company. Yeah. And a note on that, uh, Sony PlayStation VR 2, or, or the, the one that's coming to the PS5, um, has been announced to, to have salt uh, foveated rendering with eye tracking so it will be a reality but it might be a development phase for that too that it won't um, live up to its full potential um, when it first comes um, the, uh, the potential has been said that it can save like 20x um, uh, like just um, decrease the the processing requirements for graphics with 95%, but it's gonna take a while until we're there. Yeah, you need to pair this with the fact that, like, look, if you have access to three nanometer and beyond, you know, process nodes and the best chip design uh, in the world and so on and so forth. Like I, it, it is like, I'm, I created uh, one of the world's best consumer electronic, electronic startups in the past couple of decades. And I can tell you this, it's impossible to build what they're building without being them right now because they just have a lock on all the resources. There's a bunch of John Carmacks at Apple, like not even talking about the physical resources, the people resources are amazing. I'm in awe of it because they literally keep people there who are bored out of their minds just so that they can occasionally have them step in and help them solve a little problem like this. Moving on, here's a, an Asia, uh, Lakeisha shared a really fantastic article about the wild frontiers of online shopping in Asia. And this is relevant today because essentially yesterday, Facebook finally announced what I've been saying for two months, that they're going to do live streaming e-commerce. Social commerce it was announced yesterday by Facebook. You can see it in our Twitter account. It wasn't made 
Um, they didn't do like a big PR push about it because they're saving that for their upcoming F8 event on June 2nd. But you can see a preview glimpse of it in the Twitter account if you scroll back. I'll try and find it and retweet it uh, at the top of the Twitter feed. But it shows uh, a YouTube video creator using their iPhone selling lipstick in the example they show with uh, real-time floating buy now buttons on the on the Facebook user's uh, profile. Uh, and that creator, that influencer is able to monetize their uh, influence in the makeup space, for example. As coincidentally, Google uh, announced it uh, at the same time as part of their Google I.O. event uh, the day before. What's it? So looking at this article of the wild frontiers of online shopping in Asia, it does give you a, a because the reason we were able to give uh, a two month uh, prediction, very accurate prediction that this was coming to the, to America was because it's happening in Asia here in Thailand where Lakeisha and I live in a, in a transformatively huge way. That's hard to uh, under, uh, overestimate. So, Here's the big trends that are happening now in Asia that will also very likely be coming to the U.S. And I will tweet this from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account if you want to read it and in, in, in do the proper deep dive on it, uh, which you might want to do if you're interested in investing in the stock market, by the way. So <laughs> the rewards, because by the way, these companies that are doing this in Asia are now the biggest companies. Uh, some of them are quickly becoming the biggest companies in the world, rivaling uh, Apple and Google and whatnot. So, uh, re and they're only five years old, by the way. So just for context, rewards through mobile games. China's revolutionary social e-commerce platform, Duo, Pin Duo Duo, uh, which is now is about bigger than Alibaba uh, and only you know a few years old, um, has shoppers playing virtual games to draw rewards in real life, like discounts and free products rewards through mobile games that you then use in real life. That's a huge trend booming in Asia at the moment. I can guarantee you that's coming to the US and you uh, that's why this article is so fantastic. Thank you, Lakeisha. A number two huge digital trend in Asia that will come to the US in months to come because the big new social trends are all coming out of Asia these days. Uh, digital boutiques that blend online and offline, which people in the West have been trying to dabble with for a while. It's finally happening in Asia, and that's an indication that it will come to the West. So luxury brands are using WeChat to blend the experience of shopping online with visiting physical stores. And they show an example in this article I just tweeted of a woman holding her. This is a truly mind-blowing photo, and it's a real photo. This is not like some rendering. She's holding her phone up to a mannequin, and the mannequin's wearing a shirt. You've seen this your whole life. The, sh the shirt has a, a price tag on it with a QR code on it. She scans the QR code and now she on her selfie cam. So imagine this. You've got to see this photo. It's truly mind blowing. Her camera is aiming at the QR code. Easy to imagine. Her selfie camera shows her wearing the shirt that she's scanning the QR code of. It's it's hard to even imagine. You got to see the photo. That's just re that's really oh, nice. exciting. Wow. That's really exciting. So you walk, yeah, you can walk, cool. imagine walking up to a mannequin. You point your camera at the mannequin, and you see yourself in your selfie camera wearing the shirt that the mannequin's wearing. Tyler, yeah. this is going Tyler, to make Apple glasses really special. This this is a very interesting thing because Rebecca Minkoff from Soho did something similar to this about like maybe seven years ago. So in the fashion industry. And so I'll put my fashion industry hat on for a moment. 
these uh, very interactive e-commerce omnichannel solutions, and as Cal may know as well with Best Buy, much of the fashion industry, it's very insular. So most of us are super, super crazy creatives like Tyler thinking like this. And when you see that, there's actually apps out there that you could put it to a shirt and it will find you where you could find that shirt in shopping. And that's like crazy. And that's an American app. So it's a very interesting dynamic. It just depends on how you shop because in Asia, Japan, Korea, the shopping is also quite different, but also they have this sort of cultural way to sort of want to use the phone because I know in Korea and Seoul, you can also shop in the trains. So there's a bunch of cutting edge stuff over there that the fashion industry is looking at. But the challenge there is, are we agile enough to pivot the way and how quick Asia could do it? And that's been quite the challenge for many e-commerce and omnichannel project managers such as myself is how do we get it here and implement it accordingly under the software programs that we have and under these big clunky ERP and SAP, um, sorry, clunky SAP in the same sentence. <laughs> but basically when we have these large um, heavy integration, heavy architectures of supply chain and ERP systems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so yeah. I would just say it's it's a challenge simply also because of the architecture that's yeah. sitting underneath it. Yeah, yeah. So one more mega, uh, mega trend. Tyler, I don't know if I can quickly just add to what Amy just said. I just wanted to say it's pretty interesting that ad platforms are already heavily investing in uh, AR for fashion and that the fashion industry itself still finds it pretty uh, challenging. That's just my yeah. two cents. That's wonderful. Just a quick two cents, and then I'll and then I'll shut up, Tyler. Uh, Gucci is actually doing a massive, massive event in Florence in June, where they're combining nature, AR, VR, and fashion, and it's like the big, big talk of Europe right now in the fashion world because they're really doing exactly what it was Michelin. I think it was Michelin. Um, they're doing exactly what she said. They're they're basically bringing the marriage of AR, VR to the fashion, nature, sustainability space and bringing it to the buyers and the experience to people. And apparently it's super, super beautiful. I was just telling Victoria about it. Yeah, so uh, uh, number three out of these five hot trends that are booming in Asia, uh, number three is live a live show and a hot sale. Indonesia's e-commerce giant Tokopedia is turning live streamed concerts into online shopping events with time sensitive deals. And so the the platform, Tokopedia, is leveraging the star power of Korean supergroups like BTS, the most streamed musical artists on the planet. By, since, I mean, it's the biggest musical artist since the Beatles, no exaggeration, uh, to attract shoppers to seasonal promotions. During the platform's month-long online shopping event, uh, concerts by K-pop superstars like BTS and Blackpink, the two big, those are the two biggest superstars on the planet at the moment, uh, are broadcasting via live streams while new discounts and deals are released in the Tokopedia app. So it's this head-on merger of concerts and live stream shopping events. <laughs> it's kind of a wild concept. Uh, the, con <laughs> the concerts air simultaneously on Tokopedia's app and their YouTube channel, and Indonesia's free television network. The show also features Indonesian pop stars and et cetera. Uh, Tokopedia, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the num tr big trend number four is grocery shopping organized by neighbors. Chinese e-commerce giant uh, Meituan have finally cracked the notoriously tough grocery supermarket sector with group discounts, next day delivery, and neighbors. 
So it's kind of like a Groupon for your groceries, basically, with your neighbors is what's happening in China at the moment. And then the last one, the fifth one, what they call blind, the element of surprise, blind boxes are taking off as a consumer strategy among local and international brands in China, Japan, and South Korea, the format where shoppers receive a mystery box um, playing card sized figurine that is part of a set was recently popularized by Chinese toy maker Pop Mart, but has been growing for more than a decade with Japanese brands, uh, Sony Angel and Korea's Sticky Monster Labs, the collective uh, major international brands like Ikea, Disney, Starbucks, and Sephora launched collections with Pop Mart as a novel way to reach consumers in East Asia, leading Pop Mart to a blockbuster Hong Kong IPO uh, just a few months ago. In addition to the uncertainty and excitement brought by blind boxes, another part of the reason why young people love blind boxes is the popular intellectual property. Uh, the strategy director said uh, they, they, they predict the trend will extend into other industries like gaming and tourism. But uh, do read this article in depth. It's it's perhaps one of the most valuable articles I've seen in a while for helping Westerners understand the, the these huge social shopping phenomena that are exploding out of uh, Asia at the moment. Um, truly interesting. Tyler, they, many, many corporations could probably save 500,000 US dollars by not paying McKinsey for that, just read yeah. that article. <laughs> yes, that's, that's my point. It's, it's like just the photo alone. Cal, you're on fire, just, my buddy. You're on fire. Yeah, but just just, fire. just that one photo of walking. No, but up, pay Dave. Dave's a good consultant. Walking up to a mannequin <laughs> with your phone. Your phone sees the mannequin, and there's a little QR code on the mannequin, and that triggers your selfie camera to turn on, and you see yourself in your selfie camera wearing the shirt that the mannequin's wearing in a VR, uh, actually AR rendering on your own body that you move you can move with this shirt on that the mannequin's wearing uh, that but just, it's good for online too yeah of course you click buy yeah. right there you're done you're you're trying the shirt on standing on the sidewalk while the mannequin's in the you know you just in need the, the qr code on the website yeah you, know, just, you just need the qr code on the website yeah this Are you can really take a selfie and post it yeah. Yeah. Where, where, where this becomes really interesting is when you consider that people that can then wear T-shirts with their QR codes on them um, or even hidden in images because QR codes don't have to be ugly squares and whatnot. You can have stylized images that hold the data. And then other people wearing AR glasses, when they look at you, will not see the T-shirt that you're wearing, but instead the digital NFT maybe clothing that you have bought and you want to display. Yep. We just discussed that the other day in our uh me and uh, who who did I, me and Fashone, we did a uh, VR room and AR room yesterday, and we were talking about how cool it's going to be when people who have you know Apple AR glasses or whatnot, they're going to be able to see whatever it is you decide you want them to see based on the outfit you choose to project on yourself that day. It's exactly. pretty cool. What happens to the fashion industry say, at that point? Yeah. I just want to say that I sold a an augmented reality wearable as an NFT, and I think it, I sold it at the time for 1200 USD. So this is a real thing that's happening, and I've already kind of... Uh, <laughs> Victoria it. said, that's well, paying my rent. Industry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, Faraz just shared a fun tweet that I'm retweeting. The Pope Francis... Uh, Pope Mobile 
uh, is going electric. And that's all you need to know about the future of EVs. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Tyler, no, no. It's a, it's a key question. Topic. Is it level four or is it level I don't. Five? Is it autonomous? That's a great question, Cal. <laughs> Greg, 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 is the boat mobile fully autonomous? It's, it's definitely... It's level six. It's driven by God himself. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. God course. level. Just let, let, let Jesus take the wheel. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, another fun hey, one. Ty Mono hey, Tyler, yeah. before we, this John, before we all together leave the topic of the uh, fashion uh, and uh -huh. QR code yeah. embedded, I'd love to get Victoria's thoughts on whether this is going to be yet another channel for creatives to disintermediate all the people along the retail chain in fashion. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. Especially in virtual worlds in the metaverse it, it, and especially in metaverses where you're able to create in world. Oh man. Yeah. I, I, I see it blowing up really huge. It's actually one of the one of the reasons why I'm building the metaverse that I'm building right now, virtual-reality.city. That's going to be a shopping center where people could buy and sell goods, their own goods, the goods that they make. And is there is there a manufacturing capacity that resembles, um, say, a Shopify or an Etsy? Not not in the marketing sense, but in the production sense, so the creative could have a quick channel through manufacturing into the metaverse manufacturing the digital goods or the real world goods the real the real world goods um so that, that's far, a, that's a yet. huge that's a huge business model play if we believe this intermediation is going to occur who's going to be first to grab that market i'm trying so hard to do i'm literally building it with my own bare hands just me um but i'm just a single individual i'm hoping that <laughs> why do you think i don't sleep um, I'm hoping you, that I could get it done. You tell me whenever you need help there, I'm happy to help because that's, that's, that's one of my top priorities as far as, as quickly as I can get involved. I, I know there's companies that are working as hard as they possibly can to get digital and physical combined together in that space as out as quickly as possible. And there's individuals here on the stage that I'm not going to point out. I, I, I Actually, they're not here today that are, that are working on similar projects. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's um, a couple other things uh, just jumping up. Uh, Nicola in the audience brought up a great point when we were talking about kids using apps and Netflix going into games that for some reason, you know, we're very conscious of we, we talk and been talking a lot about uh, uh, Instagram for kids. Right. Which is uh, coming down the pipe and the but we let kids play video games from very young ages right five six seven eight years old and they're playing candy crush and etc and she was, she says kids games is a perfect gateway drug essentially for netflix since uh, they're considered safe content option for parents and i wonder if we might start to see similar moves amongst the social media platforms of making games that then become gateways into um social media in, in essence it's a really interesting concept uh thank you for that nicola and then uh, manaz shared a really fantastic point of an article here that i'll retweet in a second about um the elderly which is this uh, another huge huge they call it the silver economy um this huge growing space and the the title of this article is called aging in place with tech and i love the point they make in this article it says about 90 percent of people over 65 years old want to stay in their home for as long as possible makes perfect sense because once you go into the care home 
uh, you are in a whole new environment that uh, is not your own, essentially, and there's really only one reason to be there. Uh, you know, that's kind of a stepping stone to um, the great beyond. And 80% believe that their current residence is where they will always live, according to a report by National Conference. Health conditions, however, can be one of the top barriers for seniors to be able to continue to live in their homes, which they very, very, very much want to do. It's a win-win for everybody, essentially. Heyman, you were making uh, this point, actually, um, in a room we were in together, right? Can You said it much better than I did, yeah. if you could restate it. Oh, no, no, it's, it's definitely the truth. I mean, I think also, because uh, most people want to be at home. Aging in place is one of the biggest uh, concerns for patients and people generally. And home care is something that we're not doing well. I think going forward, I think that's something that has to be thought of, especially after this pandemic. Um, and it's a silver economy, boomer economy, uh, elder space. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. So the article here says that health conditions um, can be one of the top barriers for senior, seniors to continue living in their homes. Wanting to help seniors like his parents continue to enjoy the comfort of their home, a gentleman named Alan Rupp came up with a solution that aims to continuously monitor his parents while at the same time ensure their privacy and independence. So this year he launched uh, an app, basically a, a, a system of sensors for the home and an app um, called SentryTel uh, to essentially allow people to stay at home longer um, and be monitored in a very invasive way and continue to live at home much longer than needing to move to a, 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 a managed care facility. Uh, and I have to say, what a genius solution, because um, even though it's not cheap, it's, it is much cheaper than putting somebody in a managed care facility while they still get essentially most of the benefits while staying in the home, which they certainly want to do. So it's a, it's a brilliant uh, concept that uh, all of us will be dealing with uh, sooner or later. So thank you for that, Manaz. Tyler, quick question. Yeah. Um, did you guys cover the Austrian story about the postage stamps with that chip inside it? No. It's tracked by blockchain. No, but we, before you do, I'll ha go ahead and bring it up. That sounds interesting. We did cover a innovation that was headlined yesterday that there are now embeddable chips the size of a grain of salt, which fit in the end of a syringe, uh, which may or may not have something to do with a, a Mr. Bill Gates. But. Uh, <laughs> But the, the last part's a joke, but the first part was not, that there's now chips that can detect um, your blood sugar level and all interesting things uh, that can be embedded now. But go ahead. So, so excuse my ignorance. I don't, I don't know what NFC means. But near, there's an article field that I tweeted out. Yeah. Um, but it says um, on the Austrian Post uh, uh, has just launched a program where Austrian posted stamps, you can have NFC chips inside them tracked by blockchain technology. Which is, which is, I think is 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 a great tool and, ah, and great innovation on their part. I'm tweeting your um, article and... now. It's from Bloomberg. Let me let me read a bit from it. It's limited edition, right? I just yeah, it's yeah, like because Iran. of all the scares around anthrax, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh -huh. and you know all the terrorist threats, etc. I, I just think it's great because God forbid something happens, you always yep. have a way to track it back as to the source. There's an image. NFC for us. Yeah, it there... means now for us compatible. Yeah. So there's a. Uh, it's in Thank Bloomberg. You. I just tweeted the article from Faraz, and the headline is Australian Post Hunts Crypto Whales with $12 Moby Dick Stamp. Is this the one? <laughs> yeah, it is. Company it's, uh, Austrian, Austrian, not Australian. Uh, you're right, Austrian. Company says it will be the first stamp with embedded NFC chip. 
limited issue of 100,000 stamps will enter circulation June 21st. And you can see an image of it. It's a stamp, but uh, the stamp has a QR code on it and more interestingly, an NFC chip in it. Australia's Post Service is tapping rising investor interest in cryptocurrency assets with a new stamp it says will be the first to carry an embedded chip that stores information on a blockchain. Uh, the company new issued new issue carries an image of a whale, an allusion to the elusive Leviathan in Herman Neville's Moby Dick, according to a statement on Friday. It's the third crypto stamp issued by the Austrian Post in the last three years and is being introduced amongst heavy turbulence in the digital cryptocurrency markets. This opens up a broad new field, the chief product manager says. The near-field communications chip embedded in the stamps will enable packages to be handled more efficiently. No doubt it will. You can track the, the mail, an envelope, or anything with the stamp can now be tracked. Posts, very... they said it is limited circulation of 100,000 units. Uh, they cost $12 per stamp. Uh, that's kind of the barrier, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, previous crypto issued by Austria's post service bore images of, of unicorns. Who cares? But yeah, the point is, is that NFC and there's other uh, technologies as well that are quickly being developed to be able to track packages from the facility to your doorstep so that consumers, when they order things through e-commerce or social commerce, will be able to track in real time the moment it's um, left the factory and watch it in real time as it leaves the factory all the way to your doorstep. That is one of the critical last pieces in the future. Of, uh... one, one, one of the reasons I bring this up, Tyler, yeah. is because Cal if, Cal, if you remember, we were having that conversation around TAS, Trust Traceability as a Service. So yeah, what, yeah. May appear, what may, may appear expensive to postage in that industry is actually very disruptive. Because if, if you look at TAS in, in last mile delivery solutions, that is actually a very expensive solution in terms of biometric and facial recognition. Whereas if you just put a postage stamp on it for $12, that actually disrupts yeah, that entire you can, space. You can, you, you can track this all the way from Victoria's store, right? When somebody orders it there, um, all the way to, you know, from warehouse to warehouse to warehouse, because we might use people's backyards as warehouses, right? All the way to... Uh, uh, you know, within within three hours to somebody's uh, house, right? So now it's, this it's is really for us, interesting too because this of is supply working. chain interdiction. Like, is so this work? You'll basically pay like you. There's a lot of people who would pay these prices now to prevent supply chain interdiction, uh, including distributed supply chain interdiction and things like that. So I think it's pretty interesting. And maybe it'll find its economies of scale right. through that. Does this work on? Do you? Does it only? <clears throat> You can track it in real time, meaning as it's in motion or when it gets no. to. No, no, no. So no, I worked no. in the uh, I worked with NFCs and RFIDs for healthcare. Actually, it's funny, but uh, it's for aging in place. So just a quick uh, interjection but, before you guys go on. In, but, in TAS, as it exists, you can track real time. I don't know about this particular technology. So it's TAS, TAS in motion. NFC exists. can't be tracked though. NFC can't be tracked from a distance, right? It has okay. to be yeah. near field. Yeah, right? yeah. NFC, it's like, RFIDs. We're, we're what we're we're conflating a lot of different technologies here. Yeah, what I'll exactly. say is that. The, the technology is, um, you know, yes, Relevant. NFC requires near field, uh, but there's some really interesting stuff going on using actually satellites to track um, these types of things for mm. very small amounts of money. Um, because basically, like, if you want to talk to a satellite, it, it costs a lot of power. But if you don't need a high refresh rate, um, you can and you have a really big antenna on the satellite, like some of these companies are working on, you can pick up tiny minuscule signals. Um, mm. uh, and I'll, 
I'll just and so so satellite and um, IoT type networks that exist, cell networks uh, exist already. You're going to see these little hybrid chips that can squirt out a little bit of information every now and then and get you things like location and store up some information and, and transmit it out and basically tell you like, how, hey, how about how has this package been handled? Did it get chucked over the fence and that's why the thing inside is broken? Like a little bit of extra traceability here goes a long way towards uh, making it like uh, completely replace stores and completely replace uh, secure supply chain requirements mm. and insurance and all these other things that people have to pay for. How far away are Bluetooth we from story. basically Track having tiles. air tags in a mailbox? Like how far away are we from having basically air tag stamps that are like trackable think, for the whole route? I actually think like we're that that is clearly within the next couple of years um, for for high value items. And then as we use that, what, what's going to happen is that the economies of scale are going to come. Usually things like this happen where rich people or rich products pay for it first. Yeah. Um, and, and then you get these, you know, like, look, it's way different making a million of something and 10 million of something and 100 million of something and a billion of something. Those are almost completely different problems. Uh, the order of magnitude shift in quantity changes what you can do to eat cost out. Um, and, and I've been at each of those levels, um, except for 1 billion, uh, things, but I have seen factories that produce billions of things and kind of know how they work. Mm. Yeah, but he's right. That the, the, there will be a, a cost to the item and that will be fine if it's, you know, if it's $15, right. that's fine. If you're tracking a, a luxury good, like a Louis Vuitton handbag, you don't mind pay the $15 extra cost. It adds a little extra security and, you know, even the insurance company, yeah, you know, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So, and but authenticity is a concern for these things all the way back through the supply chain. So, you know, you, you could really imagine this even pairing with some of these crazy blockchain type things uh, for off, like knowing that your product is authentic and safe and has a secure supply chain, whether you're a consumer or, a, or the military or whatever, you care about this because these faulty products kill people, you know, things where supply chain, supply chains get messed with it happens all the time um, and you're basically relying on the company that you're buying the product from being good at not only managing the supply chain but managing the shipping chain to make sure that you're getting an authentic product and i had to like so you have dropcam for example fighting counterfeit products on amazon and it's like come on like this is not the this is not the primary focus of the company um but we but you have to be really good at it to have uh, your customers be happy and so mm. things like this make that job easier greg did you ever visit our factory in suju no um we as doug chan ran manufacturing for me um and so i i had the pleasure of not having to uh, focus on uh, going to china and things like that although i i was heavily involved in the process of setting it up so I got yeah, the guys think about think think about control prescription delivery, for, for example, right? I mean, think about the applications that this would have in, for example, lesser developed nations where where there's a black market for control prescription deli control prescription uh, delivery being taken out of a box and smuggled in the, into the black market. What kind of implications this would have there? Yeah, I got some. That's, that, that's the sort of stuff that I would sustainable. Look at. The sustainable food industry has been trying to figure this out for years. Yeah, I got that. fisheries and sushi. Some breaking exactly. news here. Okay, so just in the last few minutes here, an announcement from Twitter 
they will soon let U.S. users with 1,000 or more followers, which, by the way, the Tech News Around the World Twitter account will should hit that later today, uh, in just less than a week, really, of uh, promoting it. Um, Twitter will soon let U.S. users with 1,000 or more followers who've hosted three Twitter spaces, which we have done, uh, in the past 30 days, apply to host what they call ticketed spaces with Twitter taking a 20% cut. And so the article said that's as simple as that. There's a um, photo of the whole thing. It says, what are ticketed spaces? You can schedule the space, which, by the way, I scheduled this Twitter space for Sunday, which you can see on the Tech News Around the World Twitter account if you scroll down. Uh, so we're going to host a Twitter space there on Sunday and you can see it now and you can, it's scheduled. And then it says the revenue split is you can now charge for your Twitter spaces. Uh, so they're now surpassing, uh, uh feature wise at clubhouse in this regard, because you can now charge for your space and they take 20%. And this opens up what I've been saying and predicting for a little while as to why Twitter could likely, um, having a, a huge unfair advantage with all of the musicians and celebrities that they have, those celebrities can now, according to this, launch their private Twitter spaces and charge money for their try. So Taylor Swift can now perform a concert for her fans and get all of the money, give 20% to Twitter. She can do that starting tomorrow. Uh, so my first thought with this yeah. is how are they going to handle refunds? Because spaces at the moment does not work. Like uh, great point. <laughs> how great are they going to handle refunds? Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Is the all like you have to walk. do? All you have to do is change your profile photo to a picture of a Karen and go talk to the manager. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it says Twitter's get Twitter's uh, in the past thirty days. Uh, you must be. At, you must also be at least thirteen years old. The co Here's an interesting point uh, for those who speculate on the the stock markets. The company is partnering with Stripe to handle the payments. Interesting. And oh, I love Stripe. Shocking. Yeah. Well, actually, they're not uh, publicly traded yet, if I recall, but I have friends who work there and I need to ping them. Uh, it says the users will receive 80% of the revenue after Apple and Google's in-app purchase fees are taken. So if you sell a $10 ticket, Apple would presumably take 30% cut, leaving you and Twitter to split the remaining $7. 80% would go to you. 20% would go to Twitter. The company says it will cover the cost of Stripe's transaction fees. Hosts will also need a Stripe account. Ah, interesting. You can see the full product flow below the Twitter spokesperson. Stripe is literally cleaning up in every category, and yeah. they're so they, they, it's so uncontested. It's it's incredible. And the only thing I wish is that I had some equity in them. And I'm a little bit pissed because I once saved uh, the Collison brothers when they got when their airplane broke down. I went to pick them up and I didn't get any equity. So I wish that I had left them stranded at the airport uh, because I'm now mad that I don't own uh, a piece of this company. Hmm. Um, although only U.S. users will be able to host ticketed spaces for now, anyone from around the globe can purchase access into a paid Twitter space. Spaces just began allowing anyone with more than 600 followers to host and added the ability to schedule an event yesterday, which I did with friends yesterday in Twitter spaces and Greg and others joined us there. And it was a kind of a mess technologically. A lot of people couldn't get in the space and had to download the, uh, delete the app and uh, all kinds of headaches. There was actually a, they've had a pretty rough launch. We could, 
we could see your transcription, uh, Tyler, but we couldn't hear your, <laughs> your voice. Yeah. So and I, you I, nor could I hear you. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty rough really launch. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the live audio function is among the multiple of ways Twitter has announced that it will help its users monetize as part of the future uh, um, creator economy, exactly. It's planning what they call super followers, too, which will let people pay for bonus content like a newsletter subscription and for more tweets and videos, etc. And it's launching a communities feature. The company hasn't set whether the 80-20 split will also apply to super followers, but I bet you it does. They're also launching what they call Twitter Blue, which is for uh, a paid subscription feature that allows you to delete uh, 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 tweets before they're sent out um, uh, and do what they call collections of bookmarks and such. But uh, this this headline about ticketed spaces uh, is very yeah, big news Tyler, related to what Clubhouse. Is the equivalent, yeah. what, what could you do um, if you did the equivalent of a pay-per-view boxing match on Twitter, ticketed spaces? Like, Assuming that they can figure their shit out and write basic software uh, and this thing works and you can get people <laughs> on, um, like, who could we put, uh, like, I would love to do a sponsored boxing match with anybody and donate all the proceeds to charity, but, like, have it be, like, a pay-per-view. Tim Actually, Cook? No, like, yeah. Greg, Greg and Tim yeah. Cook? Oh, yeah. But it's, it's audio. Like, Greg, let's get you and somebody else and we'll call it Fight Club. I think we've done that yeah. a few times. Like Elon Musk, Elon Musk, I'm uh, happy to no, argue for with tech him news, about uh, for tech news around the world, it's got to be me, you, and uh, Justin on account of some things that have happened recently. Trust me. G well, give that, up Greg said match. it has to be mud wrestling with I'll, Tim. I, I, I'll sponsor it myself. Me, you, so, and Justin uh, in I'm, Royal I'm Rumble. I'm perfectly happy to do it. Um, you know, for us, I, I think... Um, you and I probably wouldn't be able to box too much because we agree on too many things. Uh, Justin, oh, absolutely. You know, I, I don't There's know. There's going to be some bludgeoning time, in there. Happy to do it's it. not exactly a visual format, though. Can I, I, mean, can I ask a question about the, the, the news article itself? Tyler, what happens with the payment to Apple if Twitter decide to include like a yearly pass to celebrity events with their subscription? Apple Do... would st it's a, if it's an in-app purchase, then Apple would still get its cut, yeah? And what, what about the timing of this? What if it's a reoccurring purchase? Same. Right, okay. But isn't the timing really interesting? Because Epic versus Apple is going on? Yes, and that's why it was revealed that Apple makes, what was it, $100 million in the last two years? So they're making $50 million a year from that one app loan of Fortnite. And that's why, understandably, they want to take it to court because they have other bigger ambitions as well, but they feel they're, you know, uh, they want to settle the issue before they expand on their even bigger ambitions on the, on the did rate. Did you see the, did you see the tweet that I tweeted at uh, tech news around the world about Tim Cook's position uh, on the app store and, and how, and why you shouldn't be able to advertise things in your own app for other payments and stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. So um, basically what what he he makes the he likens it to Best Buy, um, and says that look we don't allow you or Best Buy wouldn't allow you to put up an ad to go buy an iPhone in another store, um, and I thought it was super interesting because it's basically the first on the record admission that Tim thinks that the iPhone is his personal franchised store. 
it would be, he said it would be akin to Apple down at Best Buy saying, Best Buy, put in a sign there where we're advertising that you can go across the street and get an iPhone. Uh, what, when he was questioned as why can't apps direct users to deals on their website? It's freaking crazy. This is the, probably the biggest news in the um, epic Apple lawsuit is that now Tim Cook is saying that iPhone that you're holding in your hands, it's not yours. It's mine. Yeah, but is it, wasn't that always the case? Yeah, that is, I mean, from a hardware perspective, they've kind of taken that with a lot of their products where if you take it in to get repaired and it can't be repaired and they issue you a new one, they insist on keeping the old one. Yeah, I thought that was always yeah, But isn't case. he talking about the app store and not the He's phone? Talking like, about for example, software. you can, you can yeah. go to the Amazon, get an Amazon app that yep. advertises oh, so the hell out th- of this, a lot of things this on is, your phone. This is the perfect segue. So make, Check this they out. They make an exception for physical products. Here you go. Yes. Here's the perfect segue. Bloomberg right now. This just came out a few hours ago. Uh, Microsoft and Apple wage war on gadget right to repair laws. So you don't even have the right to repair it because it's theirs, to Greg's point. Dozens of states have raised proposals, and by the way, a lot of nations in Europe have raised uh, these as well, Uh, and France very successfully, actually, is forcing them to allow citizens to repair their own devices. So uh, Microsoft and Apple wage war on right-to-repair laws. Dozens of states have raised proposals to make it easier to fix devices for consumers and schools, but tech companies have worked to quash them. Justin Milner, they turned it into a narrative format, which is, I I apologize, but... uh, Justin Millman has always fixed things. He tinkered with gadgets growing up before opening a repair shop in New York, a few blocks south of Long Island Expressway. Students from nearby schools started tinkering in, uh, trickling in with their busted devices, and, and business was brisk enough that he worked only on those. Each month, he now fixes some 2,000 iPads and Chromebooks, computers that since the pandemic have become education essentials. Sometimes, though, Millman can't fix them. Uh, and this is a great point, by the way, because the Genius Bars were closed during the pan- pandemic and a lot of people couldn't fix their Apple products. Uh, and that's why this is particularly relevant, because essentially, according to Apple, if you go take it to a non-Apple repair person, your warranty is now void just by opening the thing, by the way. So, um, it, it, Tyler, it's, it's not only like Apple products. We're talking yeah. about medical products yeah. that were being rep- uh, being uh, able yeah. to be repaired. Uh, Tesla could not be repaired too, right? right? So Maryland actually recently changed the laws on that. Yeah, the point of this article, though, is that um, the there are, you know, the, that's the company policy, right? And so, uh, as the article says, dozens of states are now set, making new laws called right to repair laws that give citizens and repair shops that are, you know, not directly affiliated with the brand to repair the items that they've purchased. Makes sense, right? However, Microsoft and Apple are waging war on these uh, laws. And Justin, if you're still with us, we might have a comment on how uh, the lobbying efforts of these uh, the big tech companies are uh, putting some of their mon- monopolistic might and muscle behind this. Um, it's a really we mean not only the right to repair, but the right to hack and modify and change. Yep. And children need the ability to. Like children and adults both actually need the ability to understand how the things that you use every day work uh, down to the the fundamental physics. Like, look, um, Apple was started by some guys in a garage that hacked together a computer out of off the shelf parts and all these different things. Meanwhile, like my dad, early on in his career, he worked for a multi hundred person company and all they did was make 
a real-time clock for the Apple II. And, and you know, this extensibility and, and the ability to examine and understand the things that you use every day, we're, we're tracking towards idiocracy, uh, where the only thing that you can do is hit buttons um, and not understand how anything works. And I think right to repair is just the tip of the iceberg. You need the right to modify, the right to like own these things truly and not have somebody else treat them as their personal. Indeed. Later. Yep. I agree. Right now it's like glorified rental. Yeah. I have a question uh, though. Just think about medical equipment though. If you really want yep. your For heart lung machine and then someone you... else, uh, Joe's shop down the street. It. And, the, and that's kind of my question is, isn't it, isn't it basically just saying, and, cause I, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I really do want to understand this point, because if I take it to somebody who isn't certified and doesn't exactly for sure know what the fuck they're doing and they just make it worse or do something that absolutely shouldn't have been done. And then I take it to Apple or Microsoft or Tesla or whoever else. And I say, Hey, can you fix this? But but it wasn't but it was already tried to be fixed by somebody who wasn't certified. Now, I mean, why is it wrong for them to be like, well, I mean, you took it to someone else who fucked it up royally. And so now it's not our problem. Like, I'm just asking, because to me, it makes sense that they would want it to be handled by certified people, uh, whether Michael, it's medical you equipment are comparing, or anything else. No, but you can comparing medical equipment, which has like health insurance on patients and using in like medical equipment facilities. I'm talking from experience. My husband worked with Philips company in Iraq and uh, the, uh, they used to refurbish medical equipment back in Iraq, but they have to have a license. When he came here to the U.S., he refurbished and worked on like uh, like personal computers, iPads and Macs. And those are totally different systems. Uh, even the softwares and the hardwares of medical equipment is really different from the, your personal computer and personal iPad. And you cannot put it in a, med a medical uh, facility if you don't have the license because if, for, God forbid, uh, you didn't do the refurbish for the medical equipment in correct way and the, the, the uh, patients got a, a wrong result from this device, you and the person who uh, refurbished your device and the company that you bought the equipment from will be all have a lawsuit against you. Well, well, for a personal device, the only big problem will happen is it's not going to work. That's the only issue. It's not a liability. So and to Fatan's uh, point, there's also the diagnostics. One second, Michael. There's also an issue with diagnostics. You know how the auto industry did not want you to check into the OMBD, ODMB. So it's basically that uh, sensor, right? It's basically read the whole computer. They still don't like it, but people have hacked it. And now it's all like people and like mechanics have it. The same thing with like farm equipment. People can't uh, log in and check their farm equipment to see if all Jump the sensors are working. Right. And same thing with medical. Like, why why can't they just give the diagnostics? Like, for instance, even a CPAP for a patient. I had to go online to quickly find out how to hack that thing so I could figure out what how exactly that person was using that uh, device without having to go and buy a diagnostics, all this expensive diagnostic stuff. There's an easy way to do it, right? So I think the diagnostic part at least should be released out to allow for the uh, repairs or at least to indicate that a repair is needed, right? They're even hogging that. So you shouldn't actually be forced to take it to a mechanic and then be at their own whim, right? Because you are hijacked then, right? You can't leave technically like an auto mechanic. 
I don't think they're forcing though. That's my point. I feel like what I think what I'm trying to say is I under I think we should be able to hack these things as well. I think we should be able to do whatever we whatever we want with our things that we buy, but I also think that I'm doing that knowing that I'm breaking my my warranty. Like I I, I we should Plus, of course we should be able to do what we want. Of course, but, we should be able to do what we want with our products. No, the, but at they the don't let time, you have the diagnostics, though, right? The diagnostics tell you if you've done it right or if there's any errors in there. That's what the biggest issue with farm equipment right now is, right? Because the right. John Deere's don't let their uh, farmers actually check on their own equipment. Yeah, which I agree with you, but that's what certifications for, right? Right, but that's an added uh, cost to the farmer, for instance, right? Which is a lot because they now have to go to a like a genius bar for farms, I guess, and then they're forced to do whatever they say. Like, you know, we'll have to pay five hundred dollars to replace a small little uh, chip, right? I've seen the articles. Genius bar. I've seen genius barn. Yeah, that's what they're doing farms, yeah. because well, it's more the time issue because if you're in a remote area on a farm and the John Deere's, you know, ha- has to d- handle the whole thing. And it's created a cottage industry of Ukrainian hackers living in the Midwest amongst these farmers with these tractors who go in and literally hack and fix these things on their own because 90 percent of it is software related, uh, the the, right. the bugs in these tractors, because tractors, you know, traditionally, I mean, the physical device of the tractor is a very mechanical device and not much goes wrong with them. They la- They are built to last for an incredibly long time. They do get uh, bugs in the software, and that's where these Ukrainian hackers come in and circumvent that. I, you know, to some extent, right. you know, it, it's it's the the problem with the automation of the tractor, essentially. Not, not just that; it's an industry that's been fixing their own equipment yeah. for like hundreds and hundreds of years. If you talk to a farmer and actually find out what he has to do, the actual farming of the land is the last thing. All of the mm. accounting and, and the administration and everything else, the legal stuff, and then repairing their own equipment. These um, tractors are bricking themselves if you try and interfere yep. with them, and the costs are exorbitant. And I implore anybody who's even slightly interested in the whole right to repair movement to search out somebody called um, Lewis Rossman on YouTube yep. who's spearheading this. And the guy is an absolute legend. And we'll deep dive into all of this involving Apple and John Deere and, and car manufacturers. And a subscription. And, and, but the right too, to repair right? is not really a right to, you know, anyone can fix an iPhone. It's, it's the, the whole idea is to, that the manufacturer has to provide the information in an accessible way that their own repair people have. That's yeah. what the fight is over. Which, right? by, which, yeah. to... which by the way, the, uh, some European states have already successfully won. So it's, it's, it's the, and the, the U S states who study this know that, and they know they're going to win as well. And Massachusetts you remind passed me a law of case that of, car companies um, have, have to, to you remind, a right yeah, to of a car company, yeah. You remind me of a case in Baghdad. Um, there is this um, uh, guy, a technician of cars. He has this BMW um, hacked system. <laughs> so the lines of BMW cars and new models lined up in the streets, closing the streets, just because this is the only guy in whole Iraq has the, ha- the system hacked to figure out the electricity of that the BMW car. Otherwise, uh, and then after that, the company started to come to as a dealership in Iraq, and they opened the dealership, and they and they tried to uh, hassle the guy to close his uh, like uh, the shop because it was not certified, it was not uh, um, approved by BMW, and <laughs> he worked in the black market after that. So it's a big deal in uh, like third world countries like ours. 
And Can I, I just quickly clarify? You have, you have uh, level five autonomy, and then uh, Joe's repair shop down the street uh, repairs your little uh, navigation computer there, and uh, then you know goes around instead of avoiding people, starts hitting them. Uh, you know, you can get <laughs> run into some problems there. Dan, can I just, I just quickly want to... clarify that the, the right to repair, sorry, just the right to repair thing, that they, they are actively, companies are actively forcing you not to be able to do it. It's not so much about if you do it, you void your warranty. Things like the iPhone, they've got a list of, of replaceable modules. One of them is, some of them are the chips, which I can understand because it's what, quite delicate. But the batteries and the cameras too, if you take them out of one device and put them in the next, next device um they refuse to work even if it is it, it, it's exactly the same module just from a different device and john deere are actually br bricking some of the machines so it's not a passive oh, thing hewlett packard yeah. ink cartridges are yeah so, yeah exactly it's bricking the device but my, I, my I question think that this will be very interesting um just to talk about this a little bit from the policy side because the article is very heavy into the policy side everybody here has described what's actually happening at the technical side. Um, when we talk about lobbying, everybody just assumes, and even I get guilty of this sometimes, that we're talking about big companies working in Washington, D.C. to influence policy by giving out money. And I constantly tell people, and I will yell this until I'm blue in the face, I will go to the top of the mountains and then continue to scream this, money in Washington, D.C., is not why policy is effectively lobbied or changed. That's just a misconception. Um, that is not the largest influence. That's kind of um, almost uh, an ignorant conspiratorial view of what is going on. People think that politicians are bought and paid for, and that's not necessarily the case in Washington, D.C. But here's where it gets interesting. If you go and read the article, it's at the state level where this lobbying is taking effect. And I just kind of want to put this in perspective for everybody. The state level is where a lot of reforms can happen. Specifically, look at Colorado, which is mentioned in this article where they had a, a right to repair bill that was put into, uh, that was being debated. The big tech companies and their lobbyists advocated for certain restrictions to be added in through amendments. Those restrictions were added in and the vote was still, uh, the bill was still voted down. Um, but at the state level for the context, that's where you can get a lot of change done. So in Colorado, that same state, they removed qualified immunity for police and they, they just changed the way that police are handled. And it's brought accountability and some would argue justice into the policing system that you just can't get through in Washington, D.C. because of partisan gridlock. Now, where this is interesting and why I think the tech news around the world group uh, will find this interesting and why everybody that is interested in American politics, I'm sure it's the same way in, in other uh, countries with localities as well, is that at the state level, you have these politicians that don't only not have any name recognition, like they are, think of it this way, they are state representatives and state senators who actually, this is their second job. They have a full-time job where they're making money um, running a local car dealership or, for example, a local uh, technical repair shop. And then on their uh, day off, they on their day off, they go and they do um, state legislature business and they write the laws. Well, to be a state legislator or to be a representative, you need to raise roughly, my friend was telling me in Massachusetts, not going to name him, he needs to raise $100,000 to get through his primary. 
now think of that, folks, $100,000 where you don't have access to TV. Nobody gives a shit that you're a state representative. You don't have access to media. It's very, very difficult to raise that money. Most people involved in politics only care about the federal level. The grassroots activists are going out and raising money for federal candidates, and you're largely ignored. So where the influence truly comes in for these large corporations, and this piece of legislation kind of defines it almost perfectly, is with, at the state level. Because these lobbyists will effectively band together by these companies and they will just infuse money into the system. And if you're on their good side, guess what? You can run your car dealership and then you can just do a few things, uh, li listen and be friendly to certain industries. And that's your fundraising. That's like 50, 75% of your fundraising. You can focus on your day job, making money, write your laws in the meantime and not necessarily worry about fundraising. Now, if you oppose them, they will then have the ability to kind of band together and fund a candidate that is more friendly to their views. Um, so this is a long way of saying that the inability to get these right to repair bills through the state legislatures are 100% due to the outsized influence of lobbying from these big tech companies that everybody perceives to happen at the federal level, but really doesn't in the way that they think it does but kind of does happen at the state level. So everybody should be more, pay more attention to what's going on at the state level and, and try and throw some money to candidates you like, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. I'm done on that. But Justin, the whole issue is that the patent laws, everything is on the, the grander federal level though, right? No, my, my understanding, it, so the way it works is, right? Um, for something like this, and I now this is labor law, and it's way I am way upfield. But from reading the article, it sounded like um, it is in the the state laws have an ability where the legislators can write in laws that allow for right to repair, and, and that the state can essentially have jurisdiction over these issues in certain ways. And the lobbying effort is to basically prevent. Those, those laws from being written um, at the state level. Now, Heyman, to your point, there, if, if a law was to be written at the federal level, it is very likely in this instance that it could preempt and take priority over any state law made. So one law at the federal level could fix or prevent anything from happening. But because there's kind of a patchwork right now, there isn't that strong federal law and states could amend their laws to allow the right to repair. Um, it's now a battle at the state level. Think of marijuana. That's the yeah. perfect. Example. Well, actually, it's cars. Uh, the, the, it's Massachusetts that passed the right to repair yep. law. And then all the car companies agreed to uh, abide by that same law nationwide. So and so it's not a federal law. Yet it does. There is a right to repair cars, and it's because Massachusetts passed a law, and then the car companies were obviously afraid this would spread and be worse than the Massachusetts law, so they just agreed to go with that. And uh, so, so you're right. The, you know, states can have a big influence. So uh, I just want to say thank you to Justin, as usually has the the political perspectives on point. So uh, and host to me that my favorite rooms in clubhouse actually, because I, I love his perspective and, and David who joins him now as well, makes it even better. Uh, do give him a follow and the room where uh, his image, the politics and media 101. He, by the way, just hosted what is many are saying the best just three or four days ago, Justin, the Palestine Israel debate room that you had. 
Uh, many are, yes, sir. Some are, on Sunday. Many people are saying that's the best room that Clubhouse has had yet. And it was just four days ago. And uh, do follow him so that you, because for a very important reason, because he's already you have some Congress um, Congress members joining you this coming week. Right. Just in the next few days. Yes, sir. Thank you, Tyler, for this. Um, so, folks, we run a room with I only do a 20 minute interview. Then we turn it over for you for 40 minutes. So if you want to talk tech, talk tech. If you want to talk foreign affairs, talk foreign affairs. We give you the access to these politicians, we just want you to be respectful and very quick with your question. Um, but I think why this matters, Tyler, for everybody in this audience is on Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. So that would be in the equivalent of six and a half hours from now, depending on where you are in the world. We are going to have uh, Congressman Andy Kim on, who was a senior advisor to General Petraeus, the lead general in Afghanistan for the U.S. Um, he's going to be talking about U.S.-China relations and policy moving forward so think semiconductors think intellectual property for tech think supply chains for tech think ai machine learning he'll probably stay in the domestic policy and what we can do to invest in the states but when we turn that over to the audience questions jump in there ask him a tech question and then i think very importantly on tuesday thank you tyler again at 8 p.m. Eastern, so again, the equivalent of six and a half hours from now, we have Congressman Richie Torres on to discuss two things primarily. He's going to be social justice, and he's also going to discuss what it's like to be a 32-year-old Afro-Latino openly gay man in Congress, because we have Pride Month coming up in June. However, like I said, that's only going to be 15, 20 minutes of the conversation. He sits on the committee in Congress, the Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Committee. So if you have questions about the gas pipe, uh, the pipeline attack, the cyber attack, cybersecurity in America, what lawmakers are doing, how they're thinking about it, why they ask such shitty questions to <laughs> members of big tech, right? <laughs> this, this, is your, this is your chance. Come on. <laughs> those, are two those are two members. I love them. Um, but you can ask them the tough questions. Just be civil. And we really would love to have you folks uh, come in and join us over the next few but days. Not, so not, not you, only, hey, but hey, Justin, I got a, I got a question for you um, that I think would be interesting to everyone. Um, I, I'm also trying to bring a congressman on to my club to talk about climate legislation. And uh, their office is very concerned about the security of Clubhouse and really don't want him to, you know, use his own phone for that. Have you have you dealt with that? Or has that been an issue? for Yes, you? we will DM you on the solution for that. So but to the point is that when these Congress people um, do come into Clubhouse, I, I want to make the point that it's critically important that we show up with our feet and bring our friends because the more people that are in that room, the more easier it becomes to get more of them to come in and escalate and snowball, get higher and higher ranking members of Congress. And then we eventually get, uh, you know, the alpha predators at the top, the apex predators, uh, otherwise known as Nancy <laughs> Pelosi, to come in and join us. And that's when uh, things get wild in in the future of, you know, having using Clubhouse and, and this format uh, is incredibly powerful. And Justin is the gateway, uh, and as is Dan, if he's bringing in Congress members as well. It's, it's, it's very important. So please do follow them. Please do show up when they have members of Congress there uh, precisely. So and that Tyler will well, one one last quick yeah. thing. One last quick thing to Tyler's point. Right. And we are starting to snowball. Um, I'm not going to get into who, but we're speaking with some 
um, pretty big national figures to come on. But everybody here loves Clubhouse. They And Tyler is probably proof point number one. He cares about lifting up creators that make the app a better place. And we're all very, very worried about the future of Clubhouse and Twitter spaces and who's going to kind of position themselves. Um, the way that I look at it, and this is maybe my ignorant and limited perspective, but I look at it as if Clubhouse can begin to create such a great experience for these members of Congress, these former diplomats, these former presidents of foreign nations, that they ultimately continue to come on and we get these quote unquote apex predators like, like Tyler, uh, describes them as that creates the, now you're into my playing field. You're into the PR, you're into the media, you're into the narrative game. And that creates a narrative where clubhouse is the place, not only for news like Tyler and tech news around the world is doing, but it's also the go-to place for leading intellectuals and power brokers in the political world. And if you have that narrative, you can create a niche and carve out a niche place for clubhouse to survive any type of onslaught and then thrive off of that because they'll attract more powerful people who will want to get into the game, who will want to interface with these politicians and who will want to influence um, what is going on here. So I think that this not I'm not being selfish whenever if Dan brings a member of Congress on or if anybody has a prominent member that they want help bringing on and also making sure that there's a large audience for that member like Tyler is doing for me. Uh, please reach out to me. My Twitter DMs are open. Let's kind of work together and spread this tech news community around the world that Carl and Tyler have created and I think is the best and most close-knit community on this app. Let's kind of spread it throughout the app and, and really yeah. it, it makes sure this thing survives and thrives. Yeah. So that's my piece on and it. And to put a plug for Tech News Canada as well, because yep. we're, we're also looking at the global angle. And with the Canada's bill for C10, which is going to be the, one of the leading uh, privacy bills that are coming out, um, we're going to actually try to bring in an international audience uh, of people who are interested, including Asia, uh, Turkey, and uh, anyone else in the world who's actually interested, and uh, also including a U.S. group that we'll be discussing it with hopefully our minister here who actually proposed that bill. Um, so we'll be doing that as well. Our minister, as in the uh, minister of uh, the one who's pushed this bill through. So we are hoping to have a global um, yeah. picture of the whole privacy. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and this is John. This is John. I just want to make one comment, um, and that is that with moderators like Justin and Tyler and and others on Clubhouse, and with the format that Clubhouse has, I like to think of Clubhouse as um, civility by design. And I think there is no other place on this planet where the kind of civil discourse in very hotly contested issues like exactly what Justin did with the Israeli-Palestinian issue uh, a couple of days ago can occur. I mean, there, there, there's here, here. no substitute. Here, here. So to the extent that uh, Tyler and Justin are cross-promoting, that is really um, a worthy pathway to try and keep this puppy alive and not be diluted um, with all the lookalikes and reverse engineering that's going on. This is John. I'm done Thanks, speaking. John. On the point of the international front and, and how the power of Clubhouse is growing, um, uh, Nabil, uh, if you want to join us on stage, I would love you to. Uh, I understand you're obviously very respected uh, 
in um, in your part of the world, and uh, feel like you, I would love to hear your your thoughts. And you have the floor anytime here. You have an open invite to, to join us on stage. So just shouting out to a VIP in the audience there, and and that's part of what we do. Is we want people in the audience, as you know, if you join us regularly. Um, if you have something to share from your part of the world, geographically or professionally, we want you up here. Like my friend Frank Shuley in the audience and John Hoyerlander, why don't you guys join us up here? Um, Frank uh, just recently IPO'd recently his, I- a Bitcoin company called uh, Cefelo and couldn't be more proud of him because I've been watching that from the beginning. And um, welcome to Tech News Around the World, Frank, as, a, as one of the crypto uh, experts on the planet who recently IPO'd a crypto startup. How are things going? <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Uh, yeah. Good timing. It was last week and this week. <laughs> yeah, yes, it was. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it's um, it's a, a different dyna- dynamic. So I need to be careful what I say. It's a public market and and so on. Sure. But um, uh, shut yeah, up, but, Frank. Yeah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I will do exactly that. Thank you. And John is a friend. Both, interestingly, I just realized a funny connection you both have because we've all known each other. For, we just, for... we just, me and Frank just spent time in the same room. Yeah. And now he joined your room. Well, no, but as, as did I. John, John's a Swede. Frank is a Dutch living in Sweden and, and has built his startup out of Sweden. And I'm a judge. And John, coincidentally, has now shifted down to the Netherlands, where Frank is from. So it's an interesting uh, Dutch-Swedish connection. I never thought about that, that we reversed our relationship, Frank. John, John, I could be wrong, but you sound a little bit drunk. Am I wrong? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm always right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so we've we've got um, thirty more minutes and a lot of headlines to go through before we hand it over to Victoria and Michael for their uh, fantastic uh, reoccurring VR AR room that they do. Uh, so if you have a headline from your part of the world, professionally or geographically, do flash your mics or you can jump in popcorn style. Welcome back, Monica. Uh, uh, Tyler, yes. the, the other person that we're expecting back in this room yeah. is uh, Paul Davison yeah. from Clubhouse, uh-huh. right? Yep. He needs to come back in here yep. and hear the quality dialogue. So, <laughs> well, uh, he, was, he just spent we, the whole, we, he was in here for four hours the other day, so maybe he had enough for the week. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be back soon. Um, but anyone in the audience as well, if you have a hot headline from your part of the world, uh, where, wherever you happen to be. Tyler, can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. So in Iraq, as you know, um, maybe we're not as tech-savvy country as you may know, but uh, in the past uh, month, there is a new uh, food delivery application came to Iraq. It's called Lezo, which is a Middle Eastern application now transferred to Iraq. That means that we have now six uh, del- food delivery applications in Iraq. Three of them are um, Middle Eastern-based uh, food delivery. One is um, with Karim, which is based, uh, which yeah. was bought by Uber. That's right. Uh, it's, Kareem was yeah. the Uber so have, of mid, the Middle East based out of Dubai. I know the investors actually. Yeah, they, they had an acquisition. Exactly. Correct. And it started in Iraq and they did have the food delivery application in Baghdad also. And one of the food delivery application called Astari, he, they uh, uh, won an um, angel, angel investment uh, competition in Dubai and they raised more than six figures for their second round of investment. 
So that means the Iraqi, let's say, tech apps are starting to uh, enter the, the circle of angel investors in the Middle East, especially in Dubai. And um, I, I, I feel we are optimistic. We mm -hmm. are creating also co-working spaces. More than eight co-working spaces opened in the whole Iraq in different uh, cities. Nice. Uh, three, may, yeah, three are in uh, Baghdad, and they are hosting entrepreneurs and they're um, in new companies, and they are delivering a, a lot of uh, seminars to inform the Iraqi people about what is entrepreneurship, what are, uh, what about the cryptocurrencies, what about uh, uh, working in the tech field. So. But unfortunately, there is one uh, downside of this situation because of our security situation and um, fed, the, our federal bank in Iraq or the central bank is forbid uh, all Iraqis to work with cryptocurrencies because of money, money laundry laws. So unfortunately, Iraqi tech, um, they are feeling frustrated because they cannot work with the cryptocurrencies or mining bits in Iraq. Mm. But we have one Kurd coin a platform. It's in, based in Kurdistan, Iraq, which is the northern part of Iraq. It's more of federal government. Mm -hmm. so they have this Kurd coin platform uh, to help Iraqi clients to deal with cryptocurrencies. But unfortunately, it's more of a Fortex uh, company. It's not based like uh, solely in Iraq. Mm. So this is my news from Iraq, and I would love to be your let's say, uh, presenter of Iraqi news in the Tech News Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we would love you to do Thank that as well. Welcome back. You're welcome back anytime, Fatin. And, and I would love somebody who might be investing in Saudi Arabia as well. I'd love to hear what's going on there. And, and, and in fact, I, one of Saudi Arabia's very best tech investors happens to be in the audience. And I hope they join us on stage to tell us what's going on there as well. Because um, that's what we love to hear is how tech is developing. And the Middle East is a super interesting spot to watch as is africa and on that point mabwana uh, who's on stage and we have other folks from the continent who join us often this coming next week we're going to do a special one hour deep dive all about startups in africa and we're going to have african investors and african startups on stage and actually have them pitch to get hopefully some of them will get funding um as a result of pitching on stage and we've done this every month now for eight years which john and frank know very well because frank pitched uh, at that event many years ago and john has been one of the investors on that stage multiple times and usually one of the three startups do get funding just as happened here last month where we focused on asian investors and asian startups and one of the pitching startups did get funding as a result of that uh, by one of our uh, humble friends on stage um and so that's um, what you can look forward to that. That's coming up in about a week uh, where we're the, the, the flavor of the month will be all about African investors and startups. That's, uh, but who knows what the flavor will be next month? Maybe MedTech and we'll have Dr. Dinesh join for that perhaps. Or we can do Middle Eastern investors and startups. That would be fantastic. And then I really hope that our VIP Middle Eastern investor from Saudi Arabia <laughs> joins us on stage for that. That would be you're, 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 amazing. You're trying every avenue, right? Deal flow. Yeah. Deal hey, flow. Hey, Let's uh, see if this yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 like, even as a Swede, yeah. I hear so much promise from, from, from the Middle East. Yeah. But Jesus Christ, you, 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 you guys need to like, bring it to the world because you, you're killing it in your own region. Yeah. Expand it, man. Yeah. Expand it. Yeah. I agree. Um, and it's great to hear uh, on the ground accounts like uh, like she just shared there from Iraq, because I honestly didn't know that. Honestly, I'm pleasantly surprised. And that uh, uh, honestly puts a big smile on my face. So thank you for sharing that and hope you do come back and share more uh, updates like that.
Um, thank you. Yeah. And I think you can DM Nabil on his Instagram. He's really uh, ah. like, uh, available. <laughs> you know who I'm talking uh, about, do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have a real VIP in the audience. So um, hopefully he'll, he'll jump up at some point when he has an open invite. But there's a, there's a few more articles to jump into, but uh, specifically Google. There's a headline now out of the Wall Street Journal just broke that uh, DeepMind, which is considered one of the most important AI teams, um, labs in the world, uh, based out of London, which Google acquired. And now it's being reported by the Wall Street Journal that Google's DeepMind tried and failed to win autonomy from Google. But Google cut off the year-long push by the founders of the artificial intelligence company to secure more independence. Senior managers at the Google's artificial intelligence unit, DeepMind, have been negotiating for years with the parent company for more autonomy, seeking an independent legal structure for the sensitive research they do. DeepMind told staff late last month that Google called off those talks. According to people familiar with the matter, the end of... The end of the long-running negotiations, which hasn't previously been reported anywhere, is that latest example of how Google and other tech giants are trying to strengthen their control over the study and advancement of artificial intelligence. Earlier this month, Google unveiled plans to double the size of its team, studying the ethics of artificial intelligence, uh, which we covered here in this room when they announced that. And Google's CEO, Sundar Pichai, has called the technology key to the company's future, uh, which it no doubt is. And as we saw firsthand about three days ago as part of the Google I.O. event, which we live streamed in this room. And thank you to everyone who participated in that. That was a lot of fun. Um, and they're hiring in Toronto, actually. Yeah. Well, Toronto is also one of the key cities in this because of your university there, uh, which is one uh, vector uh, institute at waterloo and toronto and waterloo is e easily one of the top universities on the planet at the moment for ai technology so um um yep not a surprise but that's the news breaking uh related to DeepMind and google i will tweet that from the tech news around the world twitter account uh which we hope you do follow because we tweet out all of the articles that we cover here each day and you can use it yourself if you find a really good tech article that you think we should cover here, please tweet it and see and include our Twitter handle, TNATW, as part of your tweet so that we see it and we can easily retweet it, just as I'm going to do right now with Monica on stage. Monica, you want to talk about this uh, Snapchat incredible growth? Yes, yeah. Tyler. I am absolutely dumbfounded reading this article. Yeah. Um, so Snapchat in India has grown 100% year on year in the last five quarters. And the reason I'm dumbfounded is because Snapchat has been going through a recovery. In, but I thought that was happening in the US. I'm pleasantly surprised by India, which has a deluge of social media apps. And um, their CEO is, uh, is largely attributed to having caused the turnaround. But very interesting stats that have been quoted are that Snapchat users open the app 30 times a day. And nearly one wow. out of every two smartphones in the U.S. actually have Snapchat. Now, that is absolutely brilliant, given the fact that TikTok and others have been banned in India, which is the Chinese apps. And India has its own local indigenous uh, social media apps ecosystem now. And Clubhouse just launched. So I think India, people are going ballistic on social media because of the lockdown. Uh, that seems to be the only reason why this could be happening. But this is very, very interesting because Snapchat was so popular about three years ago until Instagram came out with its reels and Instagram short stories. And then absolutely Instagram went wild. 
So I'm really surprised by this. Yeah, I just retweeted that article and it already has three retweets because we're just six people short of hitting the thousand follower mark after just about a week of uh, promoting the Twitter account, which is great because this weekend we're going to host a Twitter Spaces version of Tech News Around the World to test out their version of Clubhouse, uh, which might be very buggy. And that might be a very short version of Tech News Around the World if they continue to have the buggy problems. But that's why we love Clubhouse. Um, but Tyler, yes. tomorrow we are hosting something which is special and this is happening for the first time on Clubhouse. Uh -huh. Yes, the that's right, the fintech uh, around the world room, right? Yes, yes, and we are doing it with you this time. Right, so and people can find that by clicking on the title of this room uh, where they'll see the tech news page and all the upcoming events, including the one that's starting in just 20 minutes with about for Victoria and Michael about uh, VR and AR. And there's a lot of news that we've even covered in here today, but there's a lot more that we didn't cover that they have deep domain expertise on. And hopefully Nicholas and the other VR experts will join them over there. And... Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, the the snap. I didn't realize Snapchat was so booming in in India that way. Um, other anyone else want to jump in before while we have time? Dan, go ahead. We got, sure, we got uh, just a few uh, green tech uh, quickies. Uh -huh. uh, Rocky Mountain Institute came out with a report showing that if Colorado follows its one point five degree uh, uh, objective, which they're not doing yet, they don't have the laws in place to do that. Uh, but if they did, they they would create uh, tens of thousands of jobs in the state and in, increase uh, revenues by uh, many billions of dollars. So the the point being that um, addressing climate change is a money making opportunity, not just a cost. Um, another one, which kind of kind of mind blowing, is that the temperature in the Arctic hit 30.3 degrees uh, Celsius, 86.5 degrees Fahrenheit. I think it was yesterday, and 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 that's not like the record for the year, but for May. It is like so this is getting hot very early and it's also hotter there than like most of Europe, which is just kind of just kind of an amazing thing. And the other thing is that's going to highlight the sort of the big news of the week was that the International Energy Agency issued a report. I think I mentioned this earlier that um, said that in order to uh, meet climate targets, we must stop all fossil fuel infrastructure starting today. So it was like one of the first times this independent, this is not a, like a climate lobbying group or anything like that, it's an international agency. And uh, so that's actually going to shake things up, up a lot. In fact, uh, the Renewable Energy Club is having a talk on that today at 2.30 Pacific time about that report, because that's going to make it harder for banks and uh, governments to keep saying, well, yeah, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to that later. We're, we're still going to build all these coal plants or whatever and these kinds of things, and we'll get, get around to it later where we phase things back. They're saying, no, you can't do that anymore. Time's up, and uh, we have to act uh, immediately starting today. No more fossil fuel, no more drilling, for, no, no more exploring for new oil. Um, it, it really is going to have a big impact. Anyway, that's it. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for can I, can Tyler. I, Tyler. Dan, yeah. can I add on what you just said? Because there's been there seems to be some early repercussion on this uh, on this uh, report. So today, the G7 environment ministers have gathered and they've all agreed 
uh, to deliver climate targets in line with the limiting in the Now rise of global temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius, uh, uh, contrary to what it was previously at 2 degrees Celsius. And, and specifically, they were mentioning in their press release that they are agreeing to stop direct funding of coal-fired power station in, in poor nations by way of aid at the end of 2021. So I think there are some measures that are being taken. You know, of course, let's see if that's going to be implemented. But at least there, the the G7 ministers are agreeing on that. And and along the same lines, uh, Shell, the big corporate, uh, has announced today that they are withdrawing and selling their stake in an offshore offshore gas field in the Philippines for uh, 460 million USD. So. This seems to be complement this um, agency report. Yeah, that will give you some color on both of those things. So the, so the oil companies are selling off these assets because they've made pledges to decarbonize. And so what they're doing, instead of actually decarbonizing, they're, they're just selling off sort of these dirty assets and letting other people run them and they continue to be dirty. Right. And then they get them off their books and they can then point to how they've lowered their carbon footprint by X percent. So that, that's what actually, it sounds good, but it's actually a sneaky and not, not a good thing. And then on the 1.5, uh, just, just for everybody's you know, information on this room, um, all that stuff about meeting 1.5 degrees is, is bullshit, actually, because uh, it all assumes there's massive amounts of carbon capture, which we can do. We're not, we're not doing it. We're not planning on doing it yet, but we could do it. But uh, um, as I, on, I had on my room, Kevin Anderson, who's like the expert on carbon budgets. And he said to meet 1.5 degrees warming targets without carbon capture, we need to go to zero, emission, zero emissions by 2029. And if there's anybody in this room that thinks we're going to get to zero emissions by 2029. Um, yeah, and that, that energy, so, the, the IEA report was actually pegged to this idea that we can still remain within 1.5 too. So, I mean, that's certainly a point which, of criticism. Yeah, which we're not going to do, but it, it'd be good to try though. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, we absolutely should try as hard as we possibly can. And we will need a, a ton of uh, carbon capture. Um, as well, because we're going to blow through those numbers. But anyway, uh, uh, thank you. Yours, you're up. Color on those your, your, you sent me a really interesting article about that the European power grid nearly shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Second time this year. First, yeah. Oh, thanks, Tyler. Uh, second time after um, Gen 8 uh, on May uh, 17th, uh, the European power grid nearly collapsed. And uh, the, the this time it was the largest European coal-fired um, um, electricity uh, plant. Sorry, I'm not a native speaker. Yeah, apologies. And uh, we do see, um, of course, in Germany, we do want to get rid of uh, nuclear and coal in parallel. But the large European power grid is collapsing quite often, already twice this year. And I would love to contribute a bit to that. Um, uh, sorry, I didn't get the name of the um, gentleman who is running this uh, green energy room. Or Dan. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Dan. Maybe Dan, uh, please uh, reach out or uh, then we can talk. Second thing um, to Justin, would you be interested to have a member of the German parliament from the Liberal Party, we call it yellow, yeah, so uh, it's a small party, but uh, quite powerful, uh, in one of your rooms to 
document that uh, this is really global politics and politicians are involving themselves by bringing up their points and uh, yeah, making this valuable, Justin. Uh, while he considers it, I will say that George introduced me to the made the best introduction that anybody has ever made for me in Clubhouse uh, a few days ago, just for context. I don't think Justin is. Uh, Justin, right here, right George, we'll, we'll make sure yeah, you connect yeah. with Justin. I, 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 okay, excellent. No. Yeah. Excellent. And I really appreciate I want to make it crisp and uh, sweet. And I am a big supporter of what you guys are doing. Keep I, on pushing. I, I, really you, yeah, you're, and I, can, I know that's not just words because the introduction that you made for me recently is fantastic. And uh, I think you and I would both be incredibly excited if that if that individual were to join us here in the room. Yeah, uh, the whole... I will do my follow up with my. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, with my Thanks. Yeah, of yeah. Course. Um, Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. I have DM Justin about your proposal, George. Great. And I'll send him your um, profile. Very thank cool. You. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much because uh, this gentleman is really, a, he, he was a former CHRO of uh, Lufthansa and Deutsche Telekom. So he has okay, a great. say. Um, is it possible if you DM me uh, his uh, profile so that I can uh, forward to him, forward to Justin? Yeah. Uh, who was talking? Uh, oh, you guys just connect. Yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Cheryl. That's Cheryl. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Okay, anyone want to so, jump in? Go I, ahead, Ben. I had one. Hey, Tyler? Tyler? Yeah. Oh, Danish. Sorry. Yeah, so I had one really scary one that I want to make sure everybody knows about and is looking out for, and I hate to do this because uh, I know that we have a few minutes left. Yeah. But um, The fungus? So the... Yeah, the fungus uh, did, one, yeah. Somebody get, shared this yesterday. No. This, is, this is huge. <laughs> hold on. This, this is morning. crazy. Uh, this is crazy. Yeah, Pe so I apologize. Hold on. Hold on. I hate to do this. No, no. You need to do this. People need to hear this. This is crazy. This is like mind-blowing. You all need to ping in a friend. I'm not... This is no joke. I This... this. I did it. Yeah, this is crazy. Everyone pay the fuck attention. Wake up. Hello. Hello, class. Pay attention. <laughs> Shit's about to get real. Dr. Donish is oh, going to blow your Michael, fucking mind. This is coming again. Go ahead, Dr. Donish. Well, I, I, so what's really sad <laughs> is I will say that um, we, don't, we know very little about this at this point, but the Indian Ministry of Health, which, as you guys know, doesn't have a great history of, of uh, telling what's actually going on. They were so <laughs> worried that they released a statement this last week talking about this wave of mucormycosis and I know that Heyman's here and he's a physician as well. So, you know, we can both kind of talk about this. But um, mucormycosis as an ear, nose, throat doctor, when I see that, it is often a death sentence. And uh, uh, we're seeing that with the triple mutant, there has been sweeping cases. To give you guys some context, 1.7 million cases last year worldwide. We've had thousands in the last two weeks in India. Yeah, let me, let me read this about the, so, the, there's two funguses now. And there, there's a fungus going around that it's, it's killing 60%. It's a fungus. And here's the problem with this fungus. And CNN is just reporting this now um, today, which is, it says, in early May, doctors in India began raising the alarms about the rise of uh, this fungus, a rare and potentially deadly infection known as black fungus. Many of those infected are coronavirus patients. In the past few weeks, thousands of, of Fungus cases have been reported across the country with hundreds of hospitalizations, so far 90 dead. Um, but it's there's another, there's uh, these funguses. Somebody brought a, a report in yesterday. 60% of people who get it die, if, and they're testing it. And it turns out that 
it's not uh you can't really kill it with antifungals it's very resistant to antifungal treatments and what it does is it gets inside your body and blooms inside of your organs Exactly. I, saw, so, I think Norm's what, in the audience. Norm was the one that that's brought right. it up. Norm, Norm, Norm jump. Where, where was that article? I got to find it. I tweeted it yesterday. I got to so, go back and get it. Hold on. So one thing to kind of mention about mucormycosis specifically is that mucormycosis actually, uh, one of the scariest parts is, is the big inoculation is actually in your sinuses. And the, the early sign of it is that you have a congested nose, which you can imagine with COVID is quite common. And so, uh, and the only way the doctors can catch it early enough to treat it is if somebody puts a scope up your nose and sees these black dots. And, uh, you know, we're still trying to figure out, there are three big things that Dr. I want to Nash, Dr. Nash, what is yes. your purpose of, of conveying this? It's, it's, so it's a new, the reason pa- why I'm bringing it's a, this it's up. New, it's a potentially a new pandemic. Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, 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 like, yeah. What's the interest in, in, in this channel? Are we trying to establish a, a, a new source of it? Is, so, is this the right channel to convey this message? It's anywhere. So this the is, reason why... It's, yeah, it's fine, John. It's, fine. it's, it's fine. all good, John. Yeah. All right. So, no, uh, I, the, the, the any, any channel, any channel is, is the right is channel to convey this information when people are dying. Yeah. John, yeah, yeah. we, so, can, we no, can discuss no, it, John. No, it's fine. No, no, We're good, John. No, I know no, you're trying to help. No, it's perfectly fine. It's okay, John. I disagree with this. Okay. That's fair, but it's fine. It's all good, John. You want to have an argument around this? Let's have an argument around this. I get the whole crowd against me. I'm not going to stop this fight. I want I want to have what is what is the reason that we established the this reason as, we're bringing like, it up is because people are dying. It might not be important yeah, to no, you. No, no, it's no. important to hey, other hey, people. Hey, doc- hey, I'm aware that the hey, don't hate me. Don't hate me. My frost, he's yeah, drunk. He Hold on. So the problem, <laughs> the, the, the issue is, is that the medical professionals are noticing this. The the publications really have not yet. CNN just reported it, and this is. Potential. We need like a public awareness around this generally. You think this Tyler, is, this this is John? For it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, it is. John. It is. Yes, Tyler. The, uh, yeah, Tyler. This is this is the other John. Uh-huh. Um, let, let me just say one thing, and I'm curious if Dr. Danish has any insight into this uh, because he's really abreast of this this problem more than I am. But this particular fungus is well known to affect almost exclusively people with severe immune dysfunction. Right. Yep, yep. India, is that India is in a massive crisis. They have very little to treat COVID with and steroids are one of the exactly. few proven things to help. So I suspect this is an epidemic of yeah. excessive use of steroids Thank with you. a secondary effect is the mucormycosis. Yeah, than, I totally agree. That was the point. Right? I completely agree. So, so John, the reason, and both Johns, I mean, John, thank you for bringing that up. The, the reason why it's important to talk about this is, first of all, Tech News Around the World has people that could be physicians in India right now that are here. And this is a public service announcement. So the one thing we know is that there is a significant amount of diabetes in India, often underdiagnosed. And yes. two, steroids have been used super early in the course of disease, much earlier than actually is recommended. Inappropriate. Uh, because they don't have much options out there. Uh, you know, remdesivir is essentially, if you're rich, you have access to it. That's two. The third is people are like, oh, we can just use amphotericin B to beat this. But as a physician that has taken care of this, we know amphotericin B doesn't work well with this. In fact, it's become so common that in India, amphotericin B right now is completely out of stock. 
which is even from a device perspective too. But John, from a device perspective, I let you discuss to the end of that point. You are not a public service announcement. You are a doctor that is not uh, representative of the public service that you're representative of. <laughs> and who the, hell are, you? That extremely and who the hell are you? Okay, John, hold on. Who the hell are you? Yeah, John, John, hang on. Just one second. But Dr. Donish, I want what, to, what Frank is asking in my DMs, and I'm sure many people are as well, is, um, he, he was curious about the virality because of the pandemic where people want to know how fast it will spread. And of course, it's not a virus at all. It's a fungus. No. So can you can you talk about uh, we under from what we understand, it spread uh, in the homes and it's growing in people's homes and people who have lower immune systems are falling victim to this. And it's coming into the homes, assumedly by people's pets is oh. one of the reports that we got. Yeah, this so is John. It's, it's very, it's very similar to C. diff in that exactly. it's every, it's exactly. everywhere. All the mucormycosis and Clostridium difficile, which causes the uh, problem in patient who get too many oh, antibiotics yeah. in the hospital. Everybody, it's it's in the soil. It's everywhere. So it's not spreading. Exactly. It's being enabled by the immunosuppression and the additional complication of in uh, aggravating diabetes. So th this is a consequence of of excessive use of steroids, particularly in diabetics. I've got to say, I love having John Madison on here because he can kind of speak to this quite a lot. Mm -hmm. But the, the main point is exactly what John said. I'm going to repeat it one more time. This is not a true pandemic epidemic type situation. This is around us at all times. It's in America. It's been here. It's been yeah. everywhere. The report. This is yeah. that we are doing so much incorrectly in the treatment of this disease in a certain population that is a high risk. And if you get immunocompromised enough, anybody can get mucormycosis. Yeah. And so the point here is that there is an, you know, there is a, uh, this potentially, and I hate to say this, this is not me trying to be inflammatory. This is me trying to be helpful, which is this could be where the guidelines, you know how people say, well, what's the harm in giving steroids early? Well, the harm is this, and we're seeing this across India. So we can learn from that. Yeah, but it's in it's been reported on six continents, uh, and there's multiple casualties already in twenty countries. I and I gotta find the article. Uh, it was like a, a medical publication, essentially, because it's it's can it's I... really only circulating in, at the medical professional level. Norm, welcome back. You uh, go ahead. Oh, well, it's a Scientific American article. That's what it was, Anybody? Scientific American. You're right. Mm. It's a very good article too, so I recommend reading it. So thanks, Norm. Okay. I think in the U.S., the, the steroids is being used early, Dr. Danash. Is that true? It's not just in India. even. Yeah, yeah. so we use steroids, but usually we use steroids once we have certain uh, – you have to meet certain clinical guidelines to initiate steroids, right? So, uh, mm. you know, over there, because – remember, they ran out of oxygen, guys. They ran out of, like, uh, oxygen concentrators, oxygen tanks. They would just, like if, – if you were COVID positive, they would start you on steroids immediately. Because they didn't have many treatment options. And so over here, we don't <laughs> immediately start people on that. It's kind of sad, but it is what it is. And a lot of other right. countries make the same mistakes. And from a med tech right. perspective as well, if you think of all the devices they're using, right, excluding the oxygen concentrators, humidifiers, they're being shared in this desperation. And yeah. there's mm -hmm. another issue with the, so clean, like sterility and cleaning may not be occurring optimally at this point with the oxygen therapies. Right. That's crazy. Um, Tyler, yeah. I'm going to. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, start the room. Me and Victoria yep. and Fashona are gonna go open hey, the other room. breaking news! Breaking so news! Really okay. quickly. Okay, Cheryl, hang on. Hello, breaking news! I heard. We heard you, Cheryl. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, Cheryl, hold, Cheryl, hold your pants on, Cheryl. Oh my God, Cheryl, hold yeah, she's it. Hold the pants. Cheryl, break the news. Oh Someone call nine one one. Break your news, Cheryl. Okay, check news around the world. Twitter account hit one thousand followers. Yay! Yay! Yeah. Hey, we have to Hopefully announcing that allowed you to not shit on yourself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so really quickly, uh, we're going to go open up the metaverse room. I just wanted to say really quickly, um, more on a serious note, we were talking, this room was very stressful today. Um, I've created a program, <laughs> speaking of, where I will help women feel better by packing a picnic lunch with a bottle of wine, some good laughs, my tall, dark, and handsome mocha frappuccino oh cell, all for free. It's a Michael, oh Michael, you literally just for men, How can I get I'll one as well, Michael? I'll do it for the men, too, just for the, the one, low, low Michael, cost of one Bitcoin. You've got the Amazon contract as well. So anyhow, me and Fashon and Victoria and Tyler are about to go open up this metaverse room. It's going to be a wild ride. We've got a lot to talk about today. So everyone who uh, is interested in the metaverse and VR and AR, everything we've been talking about over the past three weeks, uh, we're going to get this going. Go start it. All right, y'all. See y'all in a little bit. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, guys. And thank you to everybody. See you, Michael. Uh, thanks to everybody. It's uh, the end of Friday. And uh... hey, and welcome back, Liz. Yeah. Liz, I know yes, you've had Liz. a big day today. You're such... You're back in family here. Yeah. Thank oh. you so much, Cal. And thank you so much. Cheryl, I saw you in my room. Thank you so much for coming to support. Yes. And Leon, you will be Leon, you'll be happy to know you. that we covered your story before you got here. But that's why I... Oh, really? Yes. Uh-huh. It's okay. That's all right. Oh, by the way, there's another news. Did you guys know the SEC commissioner on Clubhouse? All those uh, Bitcoin uh, fanatic right now go crazy. Yes. Uh, the Bitcoin <laughs> world is... Because the, the SEC... Uh, it's a big... Yeah, he's tracking them a all. Big mess. But I think we have a... <laughs> Bitcoin deep dive room coming up with May has one and Ben has one coming up. You can see those by clicking on the title of the room and seeing the upcoming events there. Do follow the club. And Tech News Canada. Yep, Monday. and Tech News Canada rooms coming up as well. We've got the Med Tech room coming up. We've got a lot of lot of tech rooms coming up. We call them the deep dive hey, Tyler, when is the next when is the next tech room? Uh, I have some legal news to share. Click on the title of this room and you'll see all the upcoming scheduled rooms that we got uh, for tech news. Yep. Do we need to lawyer up? Yeah. Um, but we got to close this down now and get over to the VR deep dive room. Yep, That's, let's get over. Yep. And but thank you to everyone for joining right. us. Have a fantastic weekend. We might, as usual, have a Saturday uh, special gathering. Might. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. You never know. But uh, hope you never mystery. know. Yeah. <clears throat> the mystery. See you then. It's a, Thanks it's everybody. a Shadinger's Pass. Shadinger's Pass. Have a good Friday. Whatever. <laughs> have a good rest of your weekend. Good Friday. Thanks everybody.